morning and welcome to the program. Welcome to Friday. The last Friday of January, it is the 29th of January 2021. And Marcus Paul in the morning with all the news and your views. Give us a call. Genuine Talk here, 13 12 69 is my telephone number. If you want to send me an email, directly through to the studio, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And of course, if you want to send us an SMS on the text line, 0458 049 209. The culture wars continue, just flicking through today's Daily Telegraph. And, oh boy, oh boy. Not only the culture wars, but of course, the, uh, well, the political nature of COVID-19. And Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk is in, well, certainly Murdoch's journo sites. Broke banana bungler begs us to bail her out. Anna's job stinker. I'll have a bit to say about that this morning, and there's probably a little bit of truth to it. I see the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, has taken a swipe at Anastasia Palaszczuk. It's all about the fact that, well, as we know, Palaszczuk basically locked everybody out of Queensland. Now the joint's running out of money, and she wants Australian taxpayers to help bail her out by extending JobKeeper to the tourism sector in Queensland. Anyway, if you want to have a say on that, 131269, the telephone number. They say Albo in a Hail Mary reshuffle. Apparently a last-ditch effort to shore up his leadership and appease critics. So we'll have something to say about Albo this morning. Meantime, I see Newmarch House, where New South Wales' deadliest COVID-19 cluster killed 17 elderly residents, is still among the state's worst aged care homes. Plenty on uh, plenty on the agenda this morning, and we'd love you to be a part of it. So give us a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number on this Friday, January 29. Okay, uh, look, as students begin heading back to class, a new survey reveals three-quarters of Australians are concerned about the impact of COVID-19 on children living in poverty. The findings coincide with the Smith family's annual back-to-school appeal, which is this year aiming to find sponsors for around 9,500 Australian kids. Please, if you can help out, get online and try and do so with the Smith family. There are a lot of kids who will be doing it tough through no fault of their own this year because of COVID-19. Wendy Field, who's from the Smith family, says the appeal will support a number of programs that will help disadvantaged children get the best possible start to the school year. So if you can help out there, thesmithfamily.com.au. Meanwhile, promises, promises, the Liberals' failed record on schools as Term 1 of the 2021 school year begins. There are still 24 new schools that the New South Wales government promised before the 2019 election, which they have now not built. The new schools promised across New South Wales that the Liberals have failed to build are, and I have a list here, there's plenty of them. I won't go through them all now, but there are plenty of them. 
in, unfortunately, mostly some of the most populous areas of New South Wales and the city of Sydney. So we're going to speak to the opposition's Prue Carr about this this morning. The Shadow Minister for Education, Prue Carr, says the failure to build schools was letting down families and a missed opportunity to create local jobs. Building schools is a key way to create jobs across the state. It puts kids in classrooms and keeps tradies in their jobs. But under the LNP, apparently, all we've had are false promises. Overcrowded schools and results at an all-time low. What do you make of that? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Are you from some of these areas that have been promised new schools before the last state election, but there's nothing there? I mean, down in Macquarie Fields, Edmondson Park, a new high school promised, a new primary school promised. Gregory Hills, a new primary school promised. Liverpool, a new primary school promised. Macquarie Park, a new primary and a new high school promised. Mulgoa Rise, a new primary school, promised, not delivered. And there are stacks more. Anyway, if you want to have your say on that, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Now, the first doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine will be distributed from 11 vaccination hubs at hospitals across New South Wales. I'll go through a list this morning of where these hubs will be, so stay listening for that. In the meantime, I see that in New Zealand, there have been claims by their trade minister that Australia could fix ties with China if we quite simply showed, quote-unquote, more, diplo- uh, more diplomacy and respect. I mean, these claims by the New Zealand Trade Minister that we could quite simply fix our ties with China if we were more respectful and more diplomatic have been condemned as concerning and naive. Late yesterday, New Zealand Trade Minister Damien O'Connor was forced into ringing his Australian counterpart, Dan Tian to clarify his remarks. New Zealand has just signed an upgrade to its free trade deal with China in Beijing. So maybe that's what sparked the little bit of a jab from our Kiwi friends across the ditch. I'm not quite sure whether they should be the ones that are perhaps throwing barbs our way or maybe there's some some credit to what they're saying. I don't know. I mean, New Zealand, who, by the way, were told, um, were awarded, if you like, the title of being the most effective nation in dealing with COVID-19, maybe they're onto something. I don't know, maybe we could take a leaf out of the Kiwis' books. Not that, of course, we would have uh, anybody within our federal government uh, admitting that. We could learn something from uh, Jacinda Ardern and her mob, but maybe we can. What do you say? 13, 12, 69. All right, plenty on this morning, and I'll get through most of, uh, well, all of the the big stories. We're here till midday today, of course. Don't forget that. Uh, Today will be the last day of the extended program, uh, because from Monday, the King returns. Long live the King. Lawsy is back on Monday. Uh, So 
Today will be through till midday, and then next week uh, we're on the air from five to nine with our uh, first uh, lot of uh, breakfast shows for 2021. So things return to normal from next week. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Give me a text, 0458 049 209. Give me a call, 131269. And, of course, emails mp in the morning at 2 on this Friday, January 29. All the news and your views. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, aren't you? Of course I am. Well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, I'm saying quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're in the minority, Caroline. Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. the beauty again of living in democracy i simply don't agree and because i'm pro choice if you like and i believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the uh, the current laws does that mean i'm a bad person and should i be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me i don't believe so we're bringing you all the news and the views marcus paul in the morning oh gee that was fun yesterday wasn't it I don't know how we got from that tragedy in Brisbane to talking... Well, I do know how we got there um, because somebody uh, uh, took the conversation that way and then the, the right to lifers and and it was on. It really was, but it was great, I think. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to have you say. Uh, now, Helen Dalton, our hashtag water warriors has been in touch. Marcus, this is the problem with Sydney-based governments deciding rules for the whole state without talking to country councils or communities beforehand. Gladys Berejiklian's government decided councils needed to monitor beaches and recreational areas to make sure people aren't breaching COVID social distancing rules. Well, of course, that makes sense on Bondi Beach. But it also means other councils like Hayshire Council, where there, by the way, are zero COVID cases, have to spend tens of thousands of dollars patrolling their empty Riverside Beach. So Helen tells us she's urged the Premier and Deputy Premier to speak to her and local councils before making silly, wasteful city-based rules. I mean, a remote New South Wales council says it has shelled out tens of thousands of dollars patrolling an often empty Riverside Beach because of COVID rules to monitor crowds over summer. Hayshire Council received a letter in September from the New South Wales Police Deputy Commissioner Gary Warboys that said the council was responsible for implementing and managing COVID safe plans and adherence to public health orders at beaches and recreational areas. Now, the Hay Council General Manager, David Webb, said that as a result, council has had to pay its ranger overtime to patrol the beach at Sandy Point Reserve on the banks of the Murrumbidgee at a cost of around fifty dollars to $60,000 going forward, despite the fact that no one's there. Well, I agree with Helen on this. Why is there no consultation? Where's the common sense in all of this? 
And again, why the waste of money? It's 21 and a half after 6, 13, 12, 69. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. 25 minutes after 6, 13, 12, 69 is our telephone number. Look, look good news. Uh, we brought you the story yesterday morning of a missing 13-year-old boy, uh, the autistic young man, Leaf, who went missing at Mooney Mooney. Uh, he was found safe and well on a houseboat around 50 metres offshore from the Mooney Mooney public wharf. At around 20 to 5, late yesterday, a member of the public noticed the boy approach the houseboat. He brought the teen back to shore and contacted police. No visible signs of injuries, and he was being assessed by Ambos, and last night spent the night in his own bed. Uh, police want to thank all of us for, that, for our assistance, and it was good news uh, because uh, his family were very, very worried for his welfare and safety, obviously, non-verbal, 13-year-old autistic boy. Uh, but the good news is that he was found safe and well late yesterday up there at Mooney Mooney. All right, uh, look, there's an allegation that uh, the Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, tossed a photo of... Jeffrey Rush to the floor at a hotel in Canberra. Soon after she was named Australian of the Year, sexual assault survivor Grace Tame removed a picture of former winner Jeffrey Rush. We know his story. I don't need to go through all the detail there. But uh, apparently she's denied the allegation. that The photo was undamaged. But uh, I don't know. I think What I think is more concerning is the fact that there is uh, some allegations floating around that, well, the whole thing was a little unsavoury when it came to betting. You know, I'm not a betting man. I'll follow up on that story after the news at 6.30, but, uh, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a concern. Why are we betting on the Australian of the Year? Marcus Paul in the morning. Give Marcus a call. 13 12 69. Okay, welcome back to the program. It is a Friday, January 29, 2021. I'd love to know your thoughts this morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number. I'm going to play a little bit of what Anthony Albanese had to say on the 7.30 report very soon. And there are some concerns. I see some commentators are saying, while, he may have, while it may well have been an attempt for Albo to shore up his leadership, some ways he does risk upsetting both Tanya Plibersek and Jim Chalmers, the two who are being spoken about as a potential leadership ticket. Uh, that's what some commentators, including David Spears on uh, Insiders on the ABC, have been saying. I'm not, no, I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about all of this chatter now about Alba. I mean, I know I sort of have talked about it as well, but it is starting to infiltrate more of the mainstream. Meantime, in better news, I see uh, that the Queensland tourism industry is seeing a huge spike in booking numbers in the hours after. Anastasia Palaszczuk announced Sydney siders were welcome to travel north. Well, that is good news. Let's just hope the Premier does keep the borders open. <laughs> because how many people have been caught out by this before? 
Uh, let's hope, uh, let's hope, uh, with continuing days of zero local community transmissions, that this becomes the norm. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say. It's Marcus Paul in the morning at 23 minutes away from 7 o'clock, away from 6 in Queensland. G'day, Mick, how are you, mate? I'm well, Marcus, good morning. Morning to you. How about leadership? Look, I'm afraid every siphon a political party um, clearly demonstrates they don't have the brains of the now to be in power. Really, they can't find anyone else that can capture the imagination of the people more than Albo. They're in big trouble in the Labor Party. They really are. And if they honestly believe that he can win, I think they're too stupid to have him power. You know, do they think that they can win with these insipid policies that isn't, he's got nothing going on. He's a nice guy. I knew him when he was a kid. We went to the same school. But he can't capture our imaginations, mate. I, said, I rang you last year and told you he was gone. And he is gone. But Labor is tinkering. And, and the other thing they need to do is to decide whether they're Labor or not. If they all wanted to join the Greens party, they should have gone and joined it. But that doesn't win you any votes. You don't win votes from Liberal by being Green. Okay, you just win votes from yourself or around the periphery. Well, like um, I said, mate, labor values. yeah, it is starting to gain a lot more momentum. I mean, I pre- predicted it as well, as you know, and I've been talking about it for a while, that there would be a an asserted campaign to unsettle Labor, particularly in the News Corp's sphere and heat rising on Albo. Uh, leadership mate, threats. I, I, know, I know News Limited doesn't like Labor, <laughs> if they get rid of Albo and they get rid of Shorten, Shorten should have been gone a long time ago. You know, he's got a checkered history with the money he took from Chiquita Mushrooms and from Clean Event. He was never going to get to be Prime Minister with that behind him. Mm. Then he refused to tell us his centrepiece as Labor, his only real policy he had yeah. was the climate change policy, and refused bluntly to tell us what, what it would cost. It was like something... Did you ever see the movie Leap of Faith where they said to Steve Martin, when's it going to rain? He said, oh, when's it going to stop? You know, Albo, what's your policies cost? What's it cost not to do my policies? Yeah. You know, this was him and Shorten. Mate, they are no, they are no more Labor. When the Greens hijack Labor, they're no more Labor than when a hijacker takes a plane, he becomes a pilot. Well, look, I think it's going to take more than a brand-new Cobra hat. Put it that way. Yeah, mate, they've got to change their policies. Get back to what concerns the working man and the working woman. Mm. Widows, babies, homes, workers. Don't worry about the latte sipping our foul for munching policies. <laughs> you don't. And if, if honestly, if they say no, I personally, that is what I personally care about, go and join the Greens. All right, mate. Get away from our Labor Party. Great call. Appreciate it, Mick. You look after yourself. Have a great weekend, buddy. All right, there he is, Mick, with his say. <laughs> <laughs> not mincing words. Yeah, look, page 10, page 11, heat rising on Albo. They've got Tanya Plibersek, well-liked by the public and on the offensive with an uptick in media appearances. She regained the uh, the women's shadow portfolio, held on to education, uh, though lost the skills components. Uh, Tanya is apparently, her risk rating <laughs> is off the chart, followed by an extreme risk that is the leadership threat risk to Albo. They say Chris Bowen was extreme, though he was the architect of Labor's disastrous franking credit and negative gearing policies in 2019. Bowen is still seen as a potential candidate for the leader. 
But of course, Jim Chalmers is also there lurking in the background, as is Richard Miles. Bill Shorten, well, he's on the nose. Ed Husick, with a moderate risk. And the lowest rating, they say, is Mark Butler. There we go. But I don't know. Uh, it's going to take more than an Akubra. We've been trying to get on to Anthony Albanese's team. Not taking our calls at the moment. I don't know why. We, we normally have no problems at all getting Albo on the program. It's a little frustrating. In a last-ditch effort to shore up his leadership and appease critics, Albo has unveiled a new-look Labor front bench that he says will lead into government. With alternative leaders circling... Mr Albanese's key changes, as we know, including dumping Mark Butler from the energy and climate change portfolio and pivoting Deputy Leader Richard Miles into a domestically focused role, have been described by Labor sources as a quote-unquote Hail Mary to hold on to power. The opposition leaders shrugged off any suggestions his position was under threat, insisting the shake-up of his senior ranks had produced the quote-unquote strongest team to form an Albanese Labor government. And he's also compared himself to Joe Biden's rise to US president. Well, what do you make of that? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, look, very soon we're going to catch up with uh, the New South Wales Shadow Minister for Education, Prue Carr. As term one of the 2021 school year begins, there are still some 24 schools in New South Wales that the state government promised ahead of the last election, which they have now still not built. The new schools promised across the state that the Liberals have failed to build are in some of the most uh, populous areas of Sydney. That is, new areas, Marsden Park and others, um, and particularly out around the Nepean uh, catchment area near Penrith, some down in the MacArthur. Why haven't they been built? Surely they would create jobs. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. No, I'm not, you moron. From all of the texts and phone calls I get, Ralph, think you're an absolute nut job. Yeah, well, that's what Satan would say. And Satan wants to... Well, I got an email as well from Satan. He says exactly the same thing. Marcus, this is Satan. Ralph is a nut job. Yes, mate. I'd just like to bring to your attention that the more people that ring up and complain about you, the better, and we'll get you off the air. Oh, really? Thank you very much, mate. The only way to get through to some of you people, because... Some of you's people? people morons. Are... Well, you are a moron, Rob. And, um, mate, um, you should be taken off the air. I'll be taken off the air. Why, Rob? Because then I wouldn't be able to have fun with complete knobs like you. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you put a lefty on in Lawsy's spot. Oh, boy. It's been fun the last couple of weeks. John is back on Monday, though. Uh, all right, we've, we've got problems still, have we? Listening to uh, 2SM live via the web stream. Um, Justin, if we maybe can have a look at that. I'm getting some messages here. Emergency services remain at the scene of a crash that's left a woman in a critical condition at Mortdale. Um, Martin Place near the Strand at Mortdale. There was uh, reports of a trail bike crash. 
Police have been told the trail bike with a male driver and female pillion passenger crashed into a parked car. The 39-year-old man and 27-year-old woman were treated at the scene by ammos before being taken to St George Hospital. The woman remains the worse off. She's in a critical condition. Uh, the bloke, the rider, uh, who was actually uh, controlling this trail bike will undergo mandatory testing. Now, a crime scene has been set up. I don't know whether they should have been on the road or not. If it's a trail bike, uh, my understanding is it probably isn't registered to be on the road. Anyway, police are investigating this. All right, now let's have a look here. We've got kids returning back to school. 2021 is underway, a new school year, but there are still around or more than two dozen schools that the Liberals promised before the 2019 election that are yet to see the light of day. Some of the biggest include areas like Gregory Hills, Macquarie Park, Liverpool, Marsden Park, Mulgoa Rise, Macquarie Park, Rydalmere, St Leonard's, Westmead, Sydney Olympic Park, Let's talk to the opposition's uh, Shadow Education Minister, Prue Carr. Good morning, Prue. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year to you, Prue. Same to you. All right. Well, this is concerning. I mean, why haven't these new facilities at least been started? I mean, building schools is yes. a, a key way to create jobs. And there's, sort of, there's obviously no better time than now to be doing that. Um I mean, why? That's the question that Gladys Berejiklian has to answer. And I think if you're a parent in one of these areas, like you're going to be pretty angry about it. I was with some parents in Gregory Hills yesterday afternoon, and it's you know one of these new areas where yep. people have built homes, families have had babies who get older and need to go to primary and high school yeah. uh, on the promise that there would be schools, and instead they're just vacant lots of land while the government waits, in that case, uh, eight, nine years and still in planning? How is that acceptable? Well, that's right. See, my problem with this is when people are lured out to areas like Gregory Hills or Marsden Park or, I don't know, Spring Hill, wherever, all of these new housing estates in Sydney's West, one of the key reasons people decide to buy into these areas and spend an absolute fortune on a a new home is because the developer uh, has promised them that the state government has told them they will build uh, the right infrastructure. and yeah. There's nothing more important than schools. I mean, you don't want to live in places like, I guess, the area you're talking about, Gregory Hills, then have to send your kids to Cambridge Park High School or Penrith yeah. High or yeah. Jamison High or even out yeah. to Windsor. It's not good enough. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely isn't good enough. And as you say, they, they people build their homes on the promise that there's going to be schools, uh, but they just don't come to fruition. It's just, it's, it's so frustrating that families in these areas have to fight to get basic infrastructure. It's just basic. Schools, hospitals, roads, it's what people mm. pay taxes for, but they have to jump up and down yeah. to get the things that they're promised. Well, I mean, more again, I go back to the point here. Um, I mean, I, if I'd bought into places like that and was starting a new family, I'd be pretty annoyed mm. as well because, you know, I, I don't know what the exact figure would be, but I'd imagine that the state government of New South Wales would have earned a hefty 
amount of money in stamp duty from all of these beautiful new homes out at, say, Gregory Hills or Marston Park, etc. The money that they've garnered from stamp duty is supposed to be going into building new infrastructure. Where's the money gone, Gladys? Where has where has the money gone? And that that that's and you know these are people that are just hardworking people. They put everything into their mortgage and their kids, and what are they getting for the government? It's just you know it's it, it's 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 more than frustrating. It's just straight out unfair for people who live in the suburbs. Uh, it's you know a lot of people ask me like if this was somewhere else in Sydney, would this this be happening? It's a fair question. Fair enough. It yes. Always be happening to families in Western Sydney. They're just not getting a fair go of it. Well, let's have a look. Edmondson Park, a new high school. Edmondson Park, a new primary school. That's at Macquarie Fields. Yep. Uh, there are a couple around, even the Deputy Premier's electorate of Monero, Bungendore yep. and, and Gugong. They're expecting new, a new high school and a new primary school. But then we get to some of the most uh, you know, heavily populated areas of Sydney, Western Sydney, Gregory Hills, as you mentioned. New primary school promised. Liverpool, a new primary school promised. If you go to Mulgoa, that beautiful new estate there of Mulgoa, Rise, uh, a new primary school, promise not delivered. You can go to Riverston um, in the Talawong Precinct at Schofields, which is one of the uh, busiest new estates, yep. housing estates in, in Western Sydney. Uh, new primary school, promised not delivered. Uh, Parramatta at Westmead, new primary school, not delivered. And in the Wallandilly area, Wilton Junction, again, beautiful new estate down there, between halfway between Sydney and the Gong. Plenty of stamp duty accrued by Dominic Perrottet and and his mob in Treasury. But again, money isn't being spent where it's supposed to be spent, but more importantly, where it was promised to be spent. All of these, there's 24 of them, all of these promised school developments were announced by the Premier during the pork-barrelling days ahead of the last state election. Well, um, it's clearly unacceptable, you know, and in the middle of you know, our recovery uh, from last year, surely it makes sense to be providing construction jobs and creating these schools. Mm. Um, The other thing to note for a lot of these families is they live around existing schools that because the government has delayed the construction of new schools, the existing schools are so overcrowded that they've got, you know, 20, 30, 40 demountables on playgrounds. So this (laughs) is... Is silly it, every, every way you look at it. Yeah, demountables uh, no by the, sense. Yeah, with no it's air conditioning. It's more expensive the more they wait. Uh, mm. You know, and and the impact just just keeps multiplying um, on the economy, on on suburbs, on families, and most importantly, on our kids who need an education. All right, Prue, always good to have you on the program. We'll, we'll talk Thanks, more Mark. about this and we'll keep the pressure up. What's the, the education minister have to say about any of this? Probably nothing. Well, not addressing the issue at all. So we'll keep the pressure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Shadow Education Minister, she's out there in Western Sydney, Prue Carr. Um, what is the New South Wales Education Minister doing about this? Never hear from her, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm not quite sure. She's a national. Um, she should be at least concerned. What about the Deputy Premier? There's a new high school and a new primary school that was promised before the last state election, one in Gugong and and one somewhere else around uh, the Monero. Nothing, not a shovel in the ground. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say.
All right, as I mentioned earlier, um, the vaccine strategy for major hospitals will see a number of hubs involved in the rollout of COVID-19. It'll begin at 11 sites across the state, but New South Wales Health says it expects only limited doses to be available in the first few weeks. So where are these areas? Royal Prince Alfred, Westmead Hospital, Liverpool, Hornsby, St George, Nepean, Newcastle, Wollongong, Coffs Harbour, Dubbo and Wagga Wagga Hospitals will be the first sites to offer Phase 1, or sorry, Phase 1A priority groups, the Pfizer vaccine from next month. All right, so I'll just repeat those. RPA in Sydney, Westmead in Sydney, Liverpool, Hornsby, St George, Nepean in Sydney. All of those hospitals are involved. Newcastle, Wollongong, Coffs Harbour, Dubbo and Wagga hospitals. They'll all be the sites to offer Phase 1A priority groups, the Pfizer vaccine. What are Phase 1A priority groups? Well, they're the essential workers, those that work within our health system, those that work within aged care and child care. I'll go into a bit more detail about it soon. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to comment on that. Marcus Paul in the morning. We're off to the news. Then we want to talk to you. 13 12 69, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. All right, welcome back to the program. 13 12 69 is my telephone number on this Friday, January 29. If you want to send an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. All right, here's a little of what Anthony Albanese had to say on the 7.30 report just the other night. Somebody made the observation to me that the problem for you is that uh, in finally defeating Bill Shorten and becoming opposition leader, you've achieved your lifetime ambition and that you seem to lack that burning desire to actually become Prime Minister. That was from a Labor person. No, my, my, my ambition is for Labor to be in government. Uh, my ambition has never been about myself. It's about what Labor governments can achieve for the sort of people that I grew up with, the sort of people who need Labor governments. For some people who in government is a bit of an academic exercise. It's something of interest to them. For the people who really need a Labor government, it makes a difference. And I know... Uh, growing up, I know the difference that it made to my mum's life, to her pension, to whether she got the health care that she needed. Uh, it made an enormous difference. It wasn't an academic exercise. And for millions of Australians, that's the case today. They need a Labor government, which is why that should be our only focus. Anything else is self-indulgent. They deserve for us to acknowledge the privileged position we're in and that we have a responsibility to do our best for them. All right, what do you make of it? That was Albo the other night on the 7.30 report. Is he in trouble? Uh, will the risk come from Tanya Plibersek? Uh, reports today in the Murdoch press that she's a hot favourite. Jim Chalmers is another one. 
I don't know. Um, I'd love to talk to you, Albo. 13, 12, 69. He's kind of gone to ground. And I think we think Bill Shorten's also gone to ground. I know he's got a book that he's put out, but timing probably couldn't have been worse for Labor, I don't think, with uh, Bill uh, putting this book out. We were supposed to speak to him. We're also supposed to catch up with Albo. <laughs> but it appears that their media people aren't taking our calls. Uh, they were both scheduled for a chat this week. All right, well, New South Wales' first COVID-19 vaccination sites have been revealed, showing 11 vaccine hubs will be established at the largest hospitals across New South Wales. Royal Prince Alfred, Westmead, Liverpool, Hornsby, St George, Nepean, Newcastle, Wollongong, Coffs Harbour, Dubbo and Wagga Wagga hospitals will be the first to offer Phase 1A priority groups the Pfizer vaccine from next month. Additional hubs and clinics may come online if more doses of the vaccine are made available, according to New South Wales Health. Now, importantly, medical teams will also be sent to aged care homes to vaccinate almost half a million residents and staff under a plan to deliver jabs outside hospitals and hubs. The federal government will take responsibility for inoculating this sector after there's been no costly mistakes between federal and state authorities last year that saw 678 people die from COVID-19 in aged care in Australia. Volunteers will be included in the program alongside residents and staff, and it is set to begin as soon as the Pfizer vaccine is available. So give me a call. Will you be getting the jab? I'd be interested to know. I put a link up, by the way, to that story on our social media this morning so that uh, you can, again, go back and just double-check where those hubs are and which hospitals will offer the first round of jabs, which start, well, in less than a month. By the way, uh, one of our leading uh, health authorities, Professor Murphy, said the vast majority of Australia's supply some 50 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine to be produced by CSL in Melbourne would be available starting in March. However, that vaccine has not yet been approved for use in Australia by the uh, TGA. Overnight, though, a draft recommendation from authorities in Germany called for it to be used only in people under 65 due to what it says is insufficient data to judge its effectiveness for older people. All right. I mean, that could have implications for us here in Australia, but I'm sure uh, the medical authorities here are onto that. Meanwhile, here in Australia, we've extended the suspension of the travel bubble with New Zealand until at least 2pm on Sunday, as investigations continue into three people who tested positive to the more virulent South African strain of COVID-19 after leaving hotel quarantine. Australian authorities are trying to track down nine people who entered from New Zealand and may also be at risk. But that travel bubble was only one way New Zealand makes all the rivals quarantine, as we know. Meanwhile, Queensland will reopen its border to all of New South Wales from first thing Monday morning, 1am, uh, from just after midnight, of course, on Sunday night. You can travel into Queensland. Wonderful news. Um, now, Premier Daniel Andrews down in Victoria will today announce a further easing of his state's border restrictions. So let's hope 
that uh, things are on the improve so far as uh, people in New South Wales in particular have to get into, you know, see, uh, 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 so many people were unable to see loved ones over the Christmas New Year period because of the second wave of COVID-19 that started on the northern beaches in Sydney. Anyway, uh, what about you? Will you be travelling? Will you be heading up to Queensland? I mean, the good news is that there's been a big spike, a big, big spike in the number of people who are booking trips to go up to the Sunshine State in the coming weeks. So that's good, and that's despite the fact that the pandemic border wars, if you like, continue. Broke banana bungler begs us to bail her out. That's the uh, the headline from today's Daily Telegraph. Anna's job stinker. She closed her state even to sick and grieving people from New South Wales. But now, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk wants taxpayers to bail her out. Her request to the federal government to extend JobKeeper to her ailing tourism sector was called out as bananas by Mr Icare himself, Dominic Perrottet. Hello, Pot. Uh, You calling the kettle there? It's all looking a little black for you, Dominic. I'd shut up if I were you. You're the last person to be criticising anybody, including Anastasia Palaszczuk, with the way you've dealt with uh, uh, the eye care situation this year. I see nothing, I hear nothing, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Uh, We've had a call from Dave, one of our regulars, uh, Dave on the road, is uh, wanting us to tell you to turn your lights on. It's very misty in some parts of Sydney, making it difficult to see other road users. So please, yes, take it nice and easy on the roads this morning. Uh, There is a little bit of haze, well, sorry, mist around. Uh, I guess a mix of a a little bit of fog. and Is it foggy this time of the year? Um, I think there's just some drizzle. That's probably the better way of putting it. There's certainly a lot of drizzle around. And it is making it a little darker than normal for this time of the day. And uh, the good news is uh, that at least it's a lot colder and a bit more comfortable. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. If we all agreed all the time, oh, how boring would life be? Absolutely, mate. Uh, isn't yep. it great that we live in a country where we can have different opinions because there are a lot of places around this globe where you can't? You know, it's yeah, that's a part of of living in Australia, our democracy, and as, I, as I've said most of the morning, mates, Dave, as I've said, Dave, uh, we've won the lottery of life living in this wonderful country. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Yeah, more rain mist is what we're being told by callers. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. I see a driver remains on the run this morning after forcing panic pedestrians to flee as he sped through Melbourne's Burke Street Mall yesterday afternoon. Well, after what they've been through in that mall, uh, you know, we had that that moron years ago, well, a couple of years ago now, uh, Gargasoulis, he was the one that sped through the same mall, uh, killing people. Anyway, this bloke's car was found abandoned last night. I don't know whether you've seen the uh, the footage yet, but it was quite confronting. Meanwhile, the National Australia Day Council has referred a possible betting scandal involving the Australian of the Year Award to the nation's top criminal intelligence agency. Why the hell are we allowing people to bet on Australia Day? 
particularly when the results are known beforehand, if you know what I'm saying. Doesn't that open it up to, I don't know, corruption, perhaps, and possible insider information? Why is it that we have to bet on absolutely everything in this country? I'm not a betting man, and I don't... I mean, by all, by all uh, means, you know, bet on footy and soccer, and, uh, you know, if you want to play the pokies, waste your money, that's up to you. It's just not something that I'm in, inclined to do. Money's hard to come by. And there are so many bills to pay, rather than trying your luck, which you will never, ever come out on top. That's how poker machines are designed, to take your money and not pay much out. But anyway, just back to this. Why are we betting on the Australian of the Year? All right, another story too you might want to discuss with this. Uber Eats will require their riders to hold ABNs. I would have thought they already should have had ABNs. Otherwise, how the hell do you know whether they're paying tax? Anyway, Uber Eats will require their riders to hold ABNs and allow them to transfer jobs to others making it harder for critics to claim its workers are employees rather than independent contractors. Uh, if you want to have a chat about that. Meanwhile, 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Authorities are being urged to take some further, harsher action against the so-called right-wing extremist group that burnt across and chanted racing slogans at a Victorian tourist destination over the Australia Day long weekend. Well, you know... <laughs> They're just idiots, fringe dwellers who really shouldn't be getting anywhere near the publicity they've been getting. I mean, they're just a couple of far right-wing nutjobs that have little else to do with their time and they get on the grog and, and think they're going to change the world. But they're not because they're, they're too dumb, basically. Anyway, and I see also, um, back to Sydney, the traditional owners of the land set to be inundated by raising the walls of the Warragamba Dam have launched a federal bid for the protection of the area with the Environment Minister Susan Lee. Where do you stand on that, by the way? Uh, any listeners out in Western Sydney, are you concerned about the raising of the Warragamba Dam? Certainly the traditional owners of the land are. Give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to have your say. Now, after 7.30, Mark Latham, our second guest of the morning, will be joining us. Uh, we'll talk about this education yarning circle. Goodness sake. Uh, that's the one where we had taxpayer dollars, some $35,000 spent on culturally safe yarning circles. Hello? All right, so, look, the meeting rooms, as we mentioned yesterday, feature Indigenous art on stools, didgeridoos and $5,000 worth of window glazing with Aboriginal designs. Is it virtue signalling? See, the problem is, why are we making so-called safe spaces or culturally safe yarning circles for a minority who, by the way, haven't actually said to anybody they're feeling unsafe? I've never heard anybody say that they're feeling unsafe. It's a waste of money. What did we say this morning? Promises, promises. The Liberals have failed to provide adequate schools that they promised. 24 new schools were promised ahead of the last state election. 21 schools. There are many schools around New South Wales that still do not have air conditioning in some of our hottest areas, but we can find 35 grand, can we? on a culturally safe yarning circle. 
I wouldn't have a problem with these things going in if they weren't funded by taxpayers and if I didn't believe the money couldn't be better spent elsewhere. Of course it could be better spent elsewhere. It's not about having a crack at, you know, some sort of Indigenous yarning circle. If you want to have Indigenous yarning circles, fine. Just don't make taxpayers pay for it at the expense of other things that are probably far more important to more people. How about we start looking after the majority of taxpayers in New South Wales? God knows we pay enough of the stuff, tax that is. Why can't we look after the majority of taxpayers in this state? Anyway, Mark Latham said the cash splash was self-indulgent. It's ridiculous and unnecessary to create a culturally safe yarning circle. How many people in the Department of Education Parramatta offices would feel unsafe with an Indigenous background? You would think it would be the most accommodating of workplace environments. Well, he's right. It's a bloody waste of money is what it is. Introducing the star of our show. One, two, two, hey. Hello, Mark. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay, 23 and a half after 7, after 6 in Queensland. You would have thought they'd learnt their lesson at Anglicare, but Newmarch House, where a COVID-19 cluster infected 70 people and killed 17 of them, has been busted breaking coronavirus rules. Unbelievable. I have the story on that for you real soon. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69, the telephone number if you would like to have your say. Again, zero new cases uh, in relation to COVID-19 around our country. Uh, what are we sitting at? Uh, some uh, 26,031 people who have recovered. There are 92 active cases. Uh, those are people either in quarantine or in hospital. We know, unfortunately, that we've had 909 deaths here in Australia. But boy, oh boy, you would have thought that lessons had been learnt by Newmarch House's operators out there at Penrith. Now, long-time listeners to my program will know that I spoke to young Nicole, Nikki Fay, and her family in the lead-up to, well, sadly, the death of her grandmother, who was locked away in Newmarch. She'd had a number of tests, and we followed the progress of Anne Fay, Nikki's grandmother, over the course of nearly a month. When we first started chatting to the family, Nikki was happy that Graham was getting a test and was in fine spirits, healthy, happy. She was only 73, by the way. And she was in Newmarch House, not because of ill health, not because of frailty, but because she liked the environment. And, obviously, the company of other people of a similar age. And then she contracted COVID-19 because of the cluster inside and died. Took her two days to go. Newmarch House, where a COVID-19 cluster infected 17 and killed 17, has been busted breaking coronavirus rules. Government inspectors uncovered coronavirus breaches in 15 nursing homes, nine in New South Wales, despite 685... Australians dying in aged care from COVID last year. The Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission cut short the accreditation of Newmarch House in Kingswood until May 14 this year after it failed an audit in July. Deficits were found in 
staff infection control practices and cleaning of equipment, including and during the COVID-19 outbreak. We had to spend money on an audit on this. (laughs) This is why I was so annoyed that the New South Wales Health Minister wasn't listening to families and loved ones of people in Newmarch House. We knew all this stuff was going on. That's why people were dying. But no one from the health department in New South Wales wants to take any responsibility. The distance between Newmarch House at Kingswood and Nepean Hospital is about two and a half minutes in the car. That's where people should have gone as soon as this cluster started at Newmarch House. Marcus Paul in the morning. And now on Marcus Paul in the morning, Mark Latham. All right, welcome back to the program 25 to 8, 25 to 7 in Queensland. One nation leader in New South Wales is Mark Latham, and he's on the program. G'day, Mark. Hey, Marcus. Good to be with you. Thank you very much, mate. What exactly is a yarning circle? Uh, well, it's um, said to be culturally safe for Indigenous people working in the New South Wales Education Department in their head office in Parramatta. It's a place they can go and, I suppose, have a chat. Okay, what I yarning didn't... is, have a chat. They can go have yeah. a chat and supposedly feel culturally safe. But it raises the question, mm. and I think it's a ridiculous proposition, is anyone working in the head office of the New South Wales Education Department, no matter their skin colour, would they feel culturally unsafe? Wouldn't it be one of the safest places in the world to to work? And, and shouldn't the focus be on lifting New South Wales school results? So they spent $35,000 essentially on schools with Indigenous patterns on them, new windows with uh, Indigenous patterns on them and, and some round tables, and they call that a yarning circle. It, I call it a complete waste of money. Well, it is, considering um, how many schools around the state are still waiting for simple things like, I don't know, air conditioners in some of the hottest areas of New South Wales. I spoke to the opposition this morning about the fact that uh, the state government Gladys, Sarah Mitchell and others promised to build a whole stack of schools if we re-elected them a couple of years ago and there are still 24 in some of the busiest and most populous areas of New South Wales in particular in Western Sydney where the state government has probably garnered billions of dollars in stamp duty but there's still no shovels in the ground. You're right, 100%. This is why they aren't building these these schools because they're spending upwards of 30 odd thousand dollars on silly furniture and silly rooms where nobody has reported ever feeling unsafe. Well, that's right. And, and Marcus, I'm sure if you went to every uh, government school in New South Wales, they'd say, yes, we could find a useful way to spend $35,000 for the benefit of our students. And I think air conditioning in, in the hot places would be top of the list. So um, this, unfortunately, is indicative of a trend right through the New South Wales public service. You know, I, I try to put a spotlight on this, but Every single department, every single agency feels the need to do something Indigenous and spend money on it, even if there really is no need. To the point where, I'll just give you another example, they've they've, they've developed a strategic plan for the so-called Aerotropolis. This is all the housing and commercial development around the International Airport at Badger Street. No. And they say, and they run through this document, the planning department, with all this attempt to say it's connected to country. 
Now, you're building an international airport. You're knocking down all the vegetation the Indigenous used to live in historically and putting in housing estates, commercial tourism areas, an international airport with massive um, uh, paved uh, areas. Yeah. So it's got no connection to country. But there's a pretense out there that if you just say these things, mm. I think ultimately it's very disrespectful to the real needs of Indigenous Australians to have this virtue signalling and waste of money. How about doing substantial things for Indigenous people instead of this tokenism? Well, that's what it is, to be honest. Um, it is tokenism, but the, the sad reality of it is that this tokenism transfers much-needed funds, taxpayer money, it's not the government's money, it's our money, people who work and pay taxes. It transfers this money away from other things where it could be better spent. Oh, no doubt. And, and the waste for people in the public service focusing on non in, uh, non-existent issues for Indigenous, when there's real issues ignored, Indigenous and uh, non-Indigenous right around New South Wales, there's a huge waste of money. There's meetings, there's uh, staffing units, there's attempts to, to do things that are just unnecessary. They're wasting, I would estimate, many hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And it's not just on these Indigenous issues, it's also on, on, on so-called gender equality and and um, LGBT-type issues. Really, when people go to work in the New South Wales public sector, it's to deliver better hospitals, better schools, better transport systems, better planning. And really, these issues about race, gender and sexuality identity politics, it should have nothing to do with the job description and the job functions of the public servants. But I look at some of the people there, I think they spend all day on these other issues instead of their day job, their real job, <laughs> for the benefit of the people who pay the taxes. Well, yes, and as we know very clearly from recent data, our kids are continually falling behind when it comes to, uh, you know, what we should be doing in our education department, and that is teaching them how to read, write and add up. Well, exactly. Um, so uh, this is a real sign of a department that's lost focus on the things that truly matter. Uh, with school results, we've had the fastest falling school academic results in the world. And to think that so much effort was put into this um, yarning circle, this special room, the $35,000 expenditure at the Parramatta head office, and not only that, they were so proud of it, it was all over social media. I found out about it because I saw it on social media and thought, what the heck is that? And then asked the question as to how much it cost. So, yeah, you'd have to think that some of these uh, senior public servants, they're off with the pixies. All right, Mark, you're a former Labor leader. Um, there's a lot of pressure now coming to bear on Anthony Albanese. What's going on here? What's wrong with uh, with federal Labor at the moment? It seems to have lost its way. Uh, I mentioned probably the middle of last year that I could sense some, well, some dissatisfaction with the, the way that the party was heading on a federal level. Uh, and then, obviously, we saw things like Joel Fitzgibbon stand aside and and now Albo, in a Hail Mary, as they're calling it, has tried to reshuffle the front bench in order, I think, to save his leadership. Is he gone? Well, I think he's on the way out, uh, Marcus. Um, you know, politics can be a viper's nest, and there is history to this. I, I think the shortened forces inside the Federal Labor Party, within, well, Albanese was never all that supportive of Bill Shorten. He was undermining where he could. And at different times, he looked like he was trying to tip Shorten out of the job. So, you know, they're, they're keen on uh, a little bit of revenge. But you've got the broader problem of, you know, Albanese, not much personality there. 
not all that inspiring. He doesn't seem to resonate. You know, I talk to a lot of people about politics uh, on, on the train, on the streets, um, through my office, and I don't hear anyone saying Albanese inspires me, he impresses me, he's got the agenda Australia needs for the future. Now, it's, it's been hard for all opposition leaders during the COVID period because well, that's, that's been true. saturation media coverage. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. But Albanese just doesn't seem to be cutting the mustard, does he? And, and, and that's why I think they're looking at Tanya Plibersek for someone who at least has got some personality, a little bit of charisma and spark. I think she's um, got the wrong policy framework too. They all have. But I think it'll come down to personal appeal and, and that's where Albanese's in trouble. If we talk about policy, though, uh, I mean, uh, the critics say that Labor is not what it used to be. It doesn't represent blue-collar workers, doesn't represent those, you know, basically they need to put the Labor, L-A-B-O-U-R, back into the Labor Party. Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem to represent the working man and woman of Australia anymore. Well, they've got two problems. One is that they want to wipe out carbon reliant industry so that's wiping out jobs in mining manufacturing transport agriculture and even joel fitzgibbon's wedded to this um, net zero policy 2050 so in less than 30 years uh, labor would have wiped out a whole stack of jobs and really damaged the economy so they all seem to agree on that but the other problem is uh, sneering at working people and, and just to give you an example from earlier this week uh, there was a labor senator from wa uh, sue Lyons who put out a tweet to say that Australia Day is a celebration of white supremacy. So there's millions of Australians, their skin colour doesn't really matter, but let's say they're they're white Australians who love Australia Day, are celebrating it last Tuesday, and there's a Labor senator saying, oh, that's really celebrating white supremacy. Now, that is such an insult to millions of Australians doing nothing more than loving their country and feeling proud of their nation. How about they stop with the culture wars and focus more on policy and creating jobs and, I don't know... Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the example of it. And, and what did anyone in Labor say about Senator Lyons? Did anyone pop up and say, well, that's a disgrace? She doesn't deserve to be a Labor senator. She should lose her pre-selection? No. I didn't hear a single negative word about those disgusting comments, and it's just indicative of where Labor's got to, to think that uh, people out there in the suburbs and regions, they're all racist, they're all homophobes, you know, deplorables, as Hillary Clinton once said. That view is now right across the world as the left-wing people sneer at ordinary working people who are just trying to make a crust and uh, look after their kids. Yeah. All right, Mark, good chat. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Mark. Have a nice weekend, mate. Talk soon. Bye-bye. There he is, Mark Latham, leader of One Nation in New South Wales. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, mpinthemorning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Well, parts of Centennial Park has been taken over by Thor. Filming has begun in the newly built realm of Asgard, which occupies part of the Brazilian fields in the park. Fascinating. Uh, So that's what's going on there. Hopefully they'll take their umbrellas. <laughs> 13, 12, 69 for today anyway. Gee, it is dark out there, isn't it? Really is dark. Uh, do us a favour, whack on your headlights. We've had a number of callers this morning saying it's a little difficult to see others while dri- driving on the roads this morning, in particular around Sydney. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, are Of course you? I am. Well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, I'm Don't saying you? quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're in the minority, Caroline. Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. That's the beauty again of living in democracy. I simply don't agree. And because I'm pro-choice, if you like, and I believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the, uh, the current laws, does that mean I'm a bad person? And should I be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me? I don't believe so. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night at 11 to 8 uh, after those callers yesterday on the Laws Show. Just because you're pro-choice and you think that women obviously have the right to decide what they do with their own bodies doesn't mean that you're necessary, not necessarily not pro-life. I mean, of course, we're all pro-life. Anyway, I don't want to get into it. I really don't. I don't want to open that can of worms yet. Uh, what I did on the weekend was I went to a beach on uh, at Collaroy. Went to Collaroy. And I noticed uh, we went to the rock pool, which was lovely. I noticed that uh, there are still a number of ways that people with disabilities can get and enjoy uh, the rock pool there. And it made me think, gee, it's a, you know, be a little difficult for some if they wanted to maybe go into the ocean. So I've had a little look around. And I've noticed that there are a number of beaches around New South Wales that now have, uh, for people with disabilities, wheelchair access down to the actual surf. So to enhance the beach-going experience for those with disabilities, beach wheelchairs are now available at a number of new locations. They provide and improve access to the beach and the ocean with both children and adult size options to allow children in particular to have access and to be included in a range of activities such as playing in the waves and exploring rock formations usually found at the ends of a beach. Malabar Beach, well done to Ramwick City Council. Uh, they have uh, and they've installed year-round access for people with disability. Well done to them. Bondi. Bondi Beach is the latest beach to improve on accessibility. The previously accessible promenade and ramp access have now added improvements of a portable beach access matting. The matting is at the northern end of the beach near Wally Weeks Children's Pool. Fantastic. By the way, beach wheelchairs are available each day, but you need to pre-book. Beach access matting is rolled out, weather and surf permitting, on Thursday and Saturdays from 8.30 in the morning until 2pm. Uh, and importantly, mobility parking spaces are at the northern end of the beach, Queen Elizabeth Drive, near Bondi Pavilion, Ramsgate Avenue, close to the access and ambulance toilet uh, facilities. And there are plenty others around Australia. just got me thinking the other day, because I saw some wonderful children sadly, with disabilities, but they didn't look sad. Absolutely not. And I saw the way that the uh, people, the carers, were enabling these kids to get amongst it, get amongst the pools, the rock pools, get amongst the surf. And these 
disability wheelchairs that they use to get down into the, uh, into the surf area, where it's safe, of course. Wonderful. Anyway, so I thought I'd mention it this morning. Uh, and there, there are plenty of links that are available for people who might want to access these, wheel, these special beach wheelchairs. Uh, importantly, uh, we might put a link up, actually. That's probably the best way. Uh, and there's a, a link. We'll put that up uh, for Australian Beach Accessibility. There is a 1300 number, by the way, 1300 721328, uh, with a national beach directory for accessible beaches, work with local governments, surf life-saving clubs, people with lived experience of a disability, non-government organisations, funding programs and community stakeholders. They're all working hard to promote accessible beaches across the country, and I think they need to be congratulated. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. Sure, let's just move back from there. Get off the grass. Hey guys, I've just reseated that. Get off the grass. Come on. Sorry, mate. All good. That's all good. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to the program on this Friday. As you know, Fridays we we just ease back a little. We have got some more music on the way at this hour. Uh, before I get into uh, who we need to possibly tell off the grass. Interesting story today uh, in the Daily Telegraph. See, this is how it all works. Apparently, broadcasters and others, including those who are the favourites of the Murdoch press, are losing weight, which is wonderful. Weight loss winners over the Christmas period. Politicians and broadcasters, well, well done. I do notice that Police Minister David Elliott's looking fantastic these days, isn't he? He's lost weight. Look at those pictures there, Scruff. He's lost weight and he's sporting a new beard as well. But then you go down the page. I mean, David Elliott, by the way, started his health kick after seeing some unflattering images of himself on the television last May. And Confidential notes that while Elliott has shed the kilos, he's gained facial hair. The secret to his diet success? You've got to give yourself one day off a week, says Mr Elliott. Then we go down the page. Oh, there we go. Sky News host... Chris Smith, I like Chris, there with his lovely wife, Susie Burrell. Uh, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has also apparently sl- shown a slim-down physique following the, sum- uh, following the summer break. And, ah, the human headline himself, Mr Nice Guy these days, Ray Hadley. Morning to you, Ray. High-profile radio host Ray Hadley is apparently the biggest loser. The 66-year-old has shed 19 kilograms to reach his goal weight of 95 kg. He does look pretty... He's looking pretty slim. Look at him there, hey? What do I do, Scruff, to get this kind of press in the telegraph? Firstly, take that Canberra jersey off. Oh, shut up. (laughs) I like my Canberra jersey. But anyway, there we go. That's how it all works. Uh, Jonathan Moran, James Doherty. Well, James obviously would never give me any press after the fight with Jordan and... Uh, but Jonathan Moran, uh, see, that's how it all works, folks. It's kind of like publicity by stealth. Find a cutesy little story about these people losing weight and then give them plenty of free publicity. Get the photos up of Ray and Chris and Susie. Again, I like Chris and Susie. Wonderful. But what do I need to do? Should I? Do I need to take the Canberra jersey off? Do I need to lose weight? Do you need to leave the... Hey, going. it's a brand new Canberra jersey. I got it for Christmas. Santa Claus brought it for me. You can go. Uh, you're like David Elliott with that scruffy beard of yours. Maybe I need to get some scruff. Maybe I need to grow a beard, something like that. By the way, there's some wonderful news 
from Aussie Ark. 12 months after watching the impact of the devastating bushfires that roared through parts of New South Wales, Aussie Ark is proud to announce their first koala joey born within their wild sanctuaries. So we'll talk about this very soon. That's wonderful news. Some good news for a Friday. Uh, now, get off the grass. Who are we going to tell to get off the grass? Possibly Anastasia Palaszczuk? Broke banana bungler begs us to bail her out. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Uh, I do understand what Miss Palaszczuk is saying though. JobKeeper has been a lifeline for more than 20,000 Queensland businesses. It would be a mistake to take it away completely before international borders are able to safely reopen. Regions including Cairns, the Whitsundays and the Gold Coast that rely on tourism will be worst hit. Well, maybe you shouldn't have been so quick in closing the borders, Anastasia. Anyway, yesterday, Anastasia Palaszczuk called on the Prime Minister as a matter of urgency to consider extending JobKeeper for these industries hardest hit by COVID-19. Wow, really? I would imagine that the, uh, you know, the way that Anastasia and also the Premier Gladys Berejiklian have been playing politics with this pandemic won't be too endearing to the Prime Minister... Uh, I mean, effectively, ScoMo has been blocked out of most conversations when it comes to border closures. The tourism industry battling with borders. I mean, yes, I feel desperately sorry, desperately sorry for those who have lost jobs, those who have been stuffed around by, quick as you like, border closures uh, by different premiers around the state. But I think it's a little bit rich, a little bit rich for the Premier of Queensland to be calling on the rest of the country to help bail out her tourism industry when she is was part of the problem. With these knee-jerk reactions of border closures and not allowing people to see families and loved ones and all, you know, all the stories we've been through. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Give me a call, 13 12 69 to have your say on this. <laughs> Dennis is on the open line. G'day, Den. Good morning, Chief. How are you? All right, thank you, Dennis. Uh, what's on your mind? Mate, I just said over the news that that cockroach that murdered those or killed those two people in Brisbane got a uh, got let off on bail. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, what, the, the one that's currently before the courts? No, he's not out on bail. He was originally on bail. See, maybe you've got a little confused. Uh, the the bloke that allegedly, the 17-year-old cockroach, as you refer to him as, and I agree, uh, when he hit these, well, allegedly hit these people walking their dog and killed them, and the unborn bub, he was actually out on bail at the time. All right, but he's not out on bail now, I can assure you of that. Absolutely not. Elizabeth, good morning. How are you? Hello, Elizabeth, are you there? Oh, yes, hello. Hello, uh, Elizabeth. Yes, yes, Marcus. Yeah. Well, I think I found out the cause of hindering issues to prevent abortion and euthanasia. I have spoken yesterday to a Christian clergy person, and they have the belief that they wait for a judgment day when the dead will rise out of the graves. And then there's the other belief of reincarnation so it's what have i done honestly what have i done to deserve this rubbish honestly what what have i done (laughs) far out (sighs) how far away to the weekend now on marcus paul in the morning
the Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. It's a quarter past eight. Good morning, Guy. How Good are you? morning. I'm well, thank you. How are you going? Um, Glad it's Friday. Fighting fit. Yep. Fighting fit. Good stuff. <clears throat> so, Di, what's happening this weekend? Well, I'm going on a scout camp with our local scout group. Nice, but look at the weather. I know. What? And, and last yeah. weekend it was really hot. Oh, yeah. And this weekend it's raining. And, well, the, the upside of it is is that we're going canoeing. Oh, well, okay. When I say nice. the, the kids will be going canoeing, I'm going canoeing as well. Wonderful. And at least if it's raining, it doesn't matter if no, you go canoeing. Uh, so. Where about you going? Berrima on oh, the south coast. Oh, well, you'll love it down there. It's yeah, gorgeous. I'm really looking forward to It'll it. It'll be nice. Um, mm. Hopefully it won't be too wet. What's the uh, forecast? I, I think rain. Rain, <laughs> okay. rain, rain. But, you know, that's okay. Yeah. It's well, all right. Yeah, it'll be okay. Um, at least, <laughs> I don't know, it's better than probably the 40 plus degrees. Well, I would suggest that weekend. it will be because last weekend, yeah. it, it, it's too much when it's that hot and you're camping and you're in a tent and mm. everything else. So, yeah, hopefully it'll be good this weekend. What about this uh, lone vegan activist? Who, uh, who went on a, a bit of a spiel, if you like, carrying on at firefighters and those who were simply trying to raise money at a, bu- a bunning sausage sizzle. Mm. I mean, these blokes were cooking on the barbecue uh, and, uh, you know, cooking up snags and cooking up pieces of steak, etc. You know what this so-called lone vegan activist who's got a, a bit of a following on social media said? No. Well, she respects the firefighters and she understands they need to raise money. But she thought it was very hypocritical of them because just the mere fact that they are eating the flesh of a living animal caused the recent firestorm that they're trying to raise money in order to buy new equipment. Where do these people come from? I think most of them listen to this network. (laughs) Crikey Mikey's. And, you know, there's always someone when you go to a Bunnings barbecue who mm-hmm. wants a, a, you know, like a, a vegan or a plant-based sausage or whatever. Yep. But no, they're all just, they just serve sausages. No chicken, no pork sausages, no vegan sausages. It's just yeah. the dead set, just plain sausages. And that's what you want when you go to one of those barbecues. So, oh dear. I and, don't know. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, she was given short thrift by those that were there <laughs> and she was uh, basically chased away from the joint, uh, which, you know, <laughs> is it? I oh, mean, I would have liked to have been there for that. But you see, what she doesn't understand, this this woman, and she's a little misguided in, in what she says, besides the fact that, you know, eating... Um, I don't know, a steak or a sausage does not cause bushfires. But uh, who do you think she would call if a house caught fire? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a given. Call the fire brigade. Well, she can't call a cow, can she? No. (laughs) All right? She can't call, you know, any of these uh, domesticated uh, animals. Well, well, when I say domesticated, these farmed animals, if you like, for Mm -hmm. consumption. Yeah, no, exactly. They're unlikely to really help her. <laughs> wow. I don't know, Di. I don't know. I, look, it, all, it takes all types, but it some does. days you just have to wonder. Thank you. You have a wonderful day we'll, uh, and a nice weekend. Don't get Thank too you. wet down there. Hopefully not. We'll hear you during the news after 9 o'clock. New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Marcus Paul in the morning, 18 after 8 now. Give me a call. 13 12 69, my telephone number if you would like to have you say. Something nice on the way from Aussie Ark. Jake from Aussie Ark joining us after our 8.30 news about a first koala joey born within their wild sanctuaries following the recent devastating bushfires. What a great story that is.
Uh, so we'll catch up with Aussie Ark very soon. Meanwhile, this morning, Mark Latham was on the program. We put up one of his comments on our socials. Well, I think he's on the way out, uh, Marcus. Um, you know, politics can be a viper's nest, and there is history to this. I, I think the shortened forces inside the Federal Labor Party within, well, Albanese was never all that supportive of Bill Shorten. He was undermining where he could. And at different times, he looked like he was trying to tip Shorten out of the job. So, you know, they're, they're keen on uh, a little bit of revenge. But you've got the broader problem of, you know, Albanese, not much personality there, uh, not all that inspiring. He doesn't seem to resonate. You know, I talk to a lot of people about politics uh, on, on the train, on the streets, um, through my office. And I don't hear anyone saying Albanese inspires me, he impresses me, he's got the agenda Australia needs for the future. Now, it, it's been hard for all opposition leaders during the COVID period because well, that's, that's been true. saturation media coverage. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. But Albanese just doesn't seem to be cutting the mustard, does he? And, and, and that's why I think they're looking at Tanya Plibersek for someone who at least has got some personality, a little bit of charisma and spark. I think she's um, got the wrong policy framework too. They all have, but... I think it'll come down to personal appeal, and, and that's where Albanese's in trouble. All right, there we go. Uh, that's what Mark Latham's had to say. Plenty of people commenting on that uh, on our socials. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. Kevin says, I've been saying it for years, put Tanya in, but due to her husband's previous charges, it will always be brought back up, and especially if she becomes Prime Minister. <laughs> All right, and Douglas says, Marcus, this guy isn't even in the Labor Party anymore. What does his opinion matter for? Well, ordinarily, I'd probably agree with you, but you've got to remember, Doug, um, he is a former federal Labor leader and currently in New South Wales politics as the leader of One Nation in New South Wales. So I guess his opinion is valid. And also, you've got to remember, One Nation are really going hard for Labor seats in the Hunter region, where Mark Latham now lives. And Joel Fitzgibbon knows it all too well. Uh, here we go. So, Adrian says, Latham's cooked. <laughs> He's living in his own echo chamber, says John. Uh, and this one from James. James says, Labor could have a talking dragon as a leader and the media would still push the narrative that they're unimpressive. He's only weak if you're sucking down nine news every day. I don't know what's really unimpressive. A prime minister who passes the buck on just about everything and accepts taking credit for things and then disappears five times a year for holidays. Mm, thank you. <laughs> uh, Mark, are you there, Mark? Yep. Hello, mate. Who cares what Latham said? I'm glad everyone wrote, uh, wrote him that, that agreed with that. I always think of Latham as the bloke that made John Howard win such a big election. Yeah, well, I think I answered that. Who cares? Well, probably a yeah, lot of people. He, he, and sure enough, he's on the on the phone of TGB. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, he's a media type. That's uh, all right, but that's what happens. And nine media, you know who runs nine media? I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, but that's the all right. That's so all right. That's, I've got a conglomerate now, Channel 9, TGB and Murdoch Press. <laughs> All the, uh, the three amigos. <laughs> All the right-wing media. Uh, yuck. All right. Well, look, <laughs> uh, don't you need to hear, though, what these people say? I think we do. I don't care what Latham <laughs> says because I know it'll be 
<laughs> wacko. <laughs> well, and, and I don't know. He made some. He made some pretty good sense on a couple of issues this morning, and I think he does on a number yeah, well, of I issues. Didn't listen, I turned it off. Well, see, that's oh, your problem, Mark. Pet, you got your blinkers as, as, on. As for his little pet monkey, Malcolm Roberts. Oh God! Oh God! But again, Malcolm quite often makes some very good points on a number yeah. of issues regarding federal. No, regard. <laughs> no, oh, here we go. See you, Mark. Um, all right, thank you, mate. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. The telephone number again. Uh, this program provides a broad church of opinion, and obviously there are some who just aren't satisfied with that. Sorry, Mark. Christina in the capital, not too far away. We'll talk to her today. And Jake from Aussie Ark on a newborn Joey. Right after this. <laughs> and now on Marcus Paul in the morning, everything on the road with Bowen's Garage. Yes, thanks to bowensgarage.com.au. You can listen to his latest podcast, check out his wonderful videos. But here's the man himself, Chris Bowen. Hello, buddy. Good morning, Marcus, and good morning to all your listeners. Thank you, mate, all three of it. No, I'm kidding. Mate, um, you've been driving the new Nissan Leaf lately. Over the 14 years or so I've been involved in this junket slash job, uh, the Nissan Leaf experiment, <laughs> the Nissan Leaf experiment has been probably the most fascinating one. Now, we've had it for six months, and with a heavy heart, I announced that it goes back today, unfortunately. Oh. It's a fully electric vehicle, Marcus. Mm. Fully electric, right? Yeah. Now, I thought it was an interesting case study because if I was to drive from where I live in Sydney's northwest to you now, it's a 60K trip. Yep. Now, my wife works in Piermont, so she did that in the Nissan Leaf for almost the entire six months. The range, which is what a lot of people are concerned about when it comes to these cars, mm. is only 270 Ks of range. Yeah. So, you know, effectively, she's doing a 120K round journey every day. Yeah. We, we charged it at home just via a normal domestic power port. Yep. Now, if you were to do that from 0% to 100, it's going to take you 17 hours and oh. 23 minutes to be exact. So you just top up? the charge do you you can that's all you do i mean you never yeah. run the thing flat uh, it's, of course. You, it's like your mobile phone you put it on your bedside mm. and you charge it overnight but, exactly but yeah. longer trips is where it really you know becomes problematic of and course explaining the different plugs to people is harder than chinese arithmetic yeah. but essentially mm. um you can either buy buy your own fast charger that you can install at home a single phase 32 amp charger that'll take six hours to get it back up to full charge. And then we've got what they call these DC charging stations. The NRMA, uh, companies like Jet Charge have them. They'll do it in one hour. So, you know, time to have a coffee, time to have a break after a longer drive. You can't use it on the the famous Tesla uh, supercharge network, those, you know, gleaming red and Mm. white things you see dotted all over the place at this point. Yeah. But... But Tesla mm-hmm. is slowly making software changes to make it possible for other electric cars to use their network, which well, is a great crazy. thing. Yeah, but they'd be crazy if they didn't. Uh, I mean, if they want to increase the overall market share of EVs, well, of course they need to, you know, share some of their know-how and some of their technological, you know, advantages they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will be a, eventually a competitive market here in Australia. My concern, as always, has been 
Um, you know, I, I, they're great. As you say, Gillian goes from, from your joint to Channel 10 to read the news and then she comes back and you put it on overnight, etc. Uh, just longer trips. I don't know, maybe what I think might be a, a, a really good scenario in the future, Bowie, is perhaps you have one car that still runs off, you know, the, the traditional form of, of petrol or diesel or whatever you're using, and that's the car that you use for your weekends away or for your long trips. But if you're, mm. you know, you're just tra- traveling between smaller distances uh, of less than 100 odd k's a day or whatever, or just over, uh, mm. you know, EVs can be used for that. And it's also, I mean, when we talk about electric cars, there's all different types. I mean, you can have a, a hybrid, which is very efficient. A lot of manufacturers have hybrids. Uh, Toyota have had them since the 90s. Um, you'll, you'll end up with things like a Toyota Hilux hybrid or even a Land Cruiser hybrid uh, in, in, into the, the future. You know, you don't need to plug these cars in. Um, but the other major problem, of course, is cost. I mean, the Nissan Leaf is 50 grand before on roads. It's yeah. a hatchback. You yeah. can get a very well-equipped SUV, diesel SUV, for that price. <laughs> True. So that's, um, that's not good. But they'll come um, down. They'll come down in prices. The market share grows. That's exactly right. Yeah. Look, I mean, the, the, the problem now is, is not the range. It's simply how fast you can charge it. And thankfully, that's happening as time goes on. And mm. just one more thing. Yeah. The other issue is where is your power coming from? Because if you're doing this to be green, you know, <laughs> You want it to come from renewable energy. Otherwise, the whole thing makes no sense whatsoever. True. I've installed 36 solar panels on the roof. Mm. I don't have a, a Tesla power wall battery or something like that. So, you know, even I charge it during the day. Well, that's okay. Um, but at night, it, you know, I'm still using um, energy straight. And then there's going to be days like today where the sun don't shine. Uh, mate, I had these panels installed on December 17. They were switched on yesterday. Now we're going to have a week of rain. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking at this app, going, "Where's my revenue? Where's the seventeen cents feed-in tariff? I've only made three bucks yesterday. Oh, if I had it on last weekend, I would have made a hundred. That's it. That's it. All right, <laughs> exactly. mate. Where do we go for all your reviews and uh, and your podcasts, etc.? Yes. Well, just go to the the, the uh, main web page, balancegarage.com.au. You'll find it all there, and of course, podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Balance Garage, and you'll hear my drivel. Oh, are you on Spotify? We're, we're pretty fancy. I'm on Spotify. I'm even on a thing called Deezer, and I don't even know what that is. Oh, well, you'll have to <laughs> tell Justin what that's all about because we need to get on that platform as well. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, you want to be everywhere. Spotify, Deezer, iTunes, and whatever the Google equivalent is. I Good on you, mate. Appreciate Good it. Good on you, mate. Talk soon. Yeah, there Bye. he is, Chris Bowen from Bowen's Garage. Uh, just before I go to Aussie Ark, James has called through just in relation to electric vehicles. James, you there, mate? Yeah, mate. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, tell me about regional charging stations. Yeah, I just went out to Candos near Mudgee, Ralston, and um, in the corner of my eye, up near where the museum is, the old museum for Limeworks, um, about mm. four doors down, I spotted a Tesla charging station. Yeah, they're popping up everywhere, which is great. Uh, but yeah. it, as we discussed with uh, Chris, Chris Bowen, it'd be good if they shared the technology for other EVs. Oh, for sure. That definitely has to happen. I mean, if they're going to pick and choose, then it'll go nowhere, yeah. That's true, mate. All right. Well, thank you for letting us know. Uh, look, they are popping up everywhere, these electric uh, vehicle charging stations. I mean, they'll have to, obviously. There'll come a time, probably well within the next decade, when every service station... Um, 
you know, both in the city and the country, will all feature electric vehicle charging stations as well. There's no doubt. Okay, quarter to nine. Christina in Canberra. Christina in the capital very soon. Uh, We normally don't speak uh, and talk to Christina on a Friday, but being that Anthony Albanese has unveiled his new shadow cabinet, I thought we'd catch up with Christina today. Meanwhile, here's a wonderful story. Twelve months after watching the impact of the devastating bushfires that roared through parts of New South Wales, Aussie Ark are proud to announce their first koala joey born within their wild sanctuaries. The joey brings new hope for the species and to Aussie Ark after the 2019-2020 bushfires. Jake Meany is from Aussie Ark and he joins us on the program. Jake, good morning to you, mate. Good morning, morning. This is great news. It is, it is. You know, obviously this time, I mean, it's a pretty rainy old day today, but this time last year it was probably... 44 degrees oh, and yeah. of course we had we had fire just raging through much of our our state it was extremely hard to to watch and and much devastation particularly when it came to our our native wildlife and, and you know out of all potentially koalas were, were one of the worst impacted absolutely so you're excited i'm excited to see the first wild-born koala joey in your sanctuary living a healthy and protected life it's a representation of the hard work put in by your mob there at aussie ark ensuring koalas are protected from the threats that have affected their wild numbers and populations so tell me about this sanctuary mate yeah it's, it's a very exciting exciting project and, and it's not just for koalas this is a 400 hectare fence uh, sanctuary that is completely predator-proof. Um, so there's no fox, there's no cat, there's there's nothing inside that that really poses a risk to Good. these, these yeah. native animals. And it's all 100, percent you know, beautiful natural bushland. There's there's Tasmanian devils living in there now. Hmm. There's quolls. There's eastern grey kangaroo, and of course koalas as well. So there's just this beautiful representation of potentially what what Australian wilderness looked like, you know, 150 years ago before uh, all these these threats really uh, you know came to the came into to being. So mm. um, yeah, it's a very exciting project that we're a part of. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, they say that the Barrington tops five and a half or five thousand and. 700, uh, sorry, 5,750 hectares of protected established habitat that you have there will protect around 1,500 koalas. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. and I guess the, the reason for that is is that, um, you know, there's, there's not that threat of deforestation as well. We know that habitat loss is one of the main mm. things affecting um, koalas. And if you've got oh. their, their, their yeah. food trees there, their eucalyptus trees, and you can conserve and, and even continue to plant those, um, you can sustain a large population of koalas for, for a long time. Yeah, well, we know the current mob have a, a, a terrible track record when it comes to deforestation and clearing natural habitat for Australian uh, uh, fauna. So, uh, look, the more of these protected habitats that we get, the better. And good on you. Well done, Jake. Appreciate it. Can people go online and see uh, this newborn koala, Joey? Absolutely, yeah. So if you head to, to uh, aussiearc.org.au, um, there's our website. You can you can see everything that's going up up there, not just with the koalas, but all the other native species we're working very, very hard to protect. All right. Well, you and I will stay in touch this year, mate, and uh, you're my go-to guy for the wonderful work that's being done by conservationists. And in, in light of the devastation from last year's bushfires, we know that more than a billion, that's probably conservative, but... 
It's suspected a billion animals, uh, native, were severely affected by the firestorm. So all the hard work that's being done by organisations like yours, and in particular Aussie Ark, is being well received by people around Australia. Good job. Absolutely. Appreciate it. We'll have to get you up there for a visit at some point. Oh, can I can I snuggle a koala? <laughs> hey? I, think we, I think we could arrange that. All right. Well, look, uh, I think you've made my partner's day if she's listening because uh, she koalas are her life. Oh, and dinosaurs. You got any dinosaurs? No. Uh, no, no, no dinosaurs. Maybe at the reptile park. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cute cute and cuddlies up there. All right, fair enough. No Jurassic Park, just uh, great protection of Aussie animals. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, there he is, Jake Meany from Aussie Ark. They are doing a wonderful job. And here, uh, three cheers to them, I reckon. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengrand. All right, uh, let's go to Canberra. As I said, we ordinarily on Friday sort of just shy away a little from the politics, but it's too important to miss today because Anthony Albanese has unveiled his new shadow cabinet uh, and I believe he's fighting for his leadership. Christina, good morning. How are you, darling? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Good. Tell me, uh, what's this new shadow cabinet looking like? Yes, so uh, Mr Albanese was due to announce this uh, front bench reshuffle on the weekend, uh, but he decided to move it up to yesterday, and that was after there were already some leaks about the kind of changes he was making, so he decided just to make the full announcement. And uh, one of those leaks was about Mark Butler being moved out of the climate portfolio into health and ageing. That is exactly what happened, and that's speculated to be a calculated move on Mr Albanese's part, sort of in a bid to bring the party together on climate policy. So Chris Bowen will now take over from Mark Butler in that position instead, and I'll quickly run through some of the changes he made also. Uh, Richard Miles, the Deputy Labor Leader, he's been handed a super portfolio, and that's uh, really taking in much of the COVID-19 recovery areas. So his responsibilities include reconstruction, employment, skills, and small business, along with science. Then uh, Brendan O'Connor moves from employment to defence. Ed Husick is in innovation. Claire O'Neill is taking on senior Australians and aged care services. And Madeline King will be responsible for resources and trade. And uh, in announcing that reshuffle yesterday, Mr Albanese said it's about putting together the strongest team to form government, yeah. really positioning Labor ahead of the next federal election. But also, as you mentioned, it was a little bit about shoring up his leadership as well. I think so. I think that's a big part of it, Christina, to be honest. Anyway, the government is temporarily changing its immigration rules so parent visa applicants aren't forced overseas. Finally, some common sense. Yes, so we've spoken about this before. The current immigration system, it's forcing uh, parent visa applicants to be offshore or outside of Australia when their visa is processed and granted. Uh, Of course, in the middle of the pandemic, that's not really practical. There's travel restrictions and quarantine and and, uh, passenger arrival caps and so on. Uh, So the government's now been forced to make a concession on this front for partner applicants. parent applications, uh, and it's previously uh, already made this exemption for partner applications. Uh, so uh, Immigration Minister Alex Hawke has now announced that he's going to temporarily grant those same exemptions for parent visas, and that will take effect in the first quarter of this year. Labor, though, says it's coming a little bit too late because you know hundreds of families have already been forced to go overseas and back again. And there's also some 30 categories of visa applicants who are still forced to fly overseas to get their visas. So Labor doesn't, isn't really convinced with these changes. All right, meanwhile, the Morrison government has been told to overhaul Australia's environmental laws, Christina. 
Yes, so this is a, a final report from Australia, a review into Australia's Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. It was uh, headed by Graham Samuel. Samuel, he's made 38 recommendations. And one of the headline messages from this report is that Australia's environment laws uh, have been suffering from two decades of failure by governments to improve the systems which are really supposed to protect Australia's wildlife. And Mr Samuel saying that uh, Australia's natural environment is really in serious trouble. So uh, in Mr Samuel's review, he's made some sort of uh, recommendations for a broad reform agenda, but he's also warning that some immediate uh, changes need to take place also. And one of those includes national environmental standards to, produce, to boost protection. Now, this final report's been handed to the Federal Environment Minister, Susan Lee, and all of this comes ahead of Parliament resuming next week and ahead of a, a looming Senate vote on a government bill, which is basically looking at cutting green tape. And uh, also one of the main things this bill tries to aim to do is, is to transfer responsibility for environmental assessments for major projects yeah. from the federal government to states. And that's something that Labor and the Greens are a bit wary about, especially because the national standards that the government says will govern that state responsibility haven't been released yet. All right, Christina, thank you. We look forward to hearing your reports today uh, around the network. And you have a wonderful weekend. What's the weather like in Canberra? We've got drizzle here. What's happening there? Yes, it's been raining all morning. I believe it's supposed to rain for the rest of the day as well. All right. Take care. We'll catch up on Monday. Thank you very much. Thank you. There she is, our wonderful Christina in the capital on Marcus Paul in the morning. That's it for our breakfast program this morning. Thank you very much for all your phone calls, emails and SMSs. Uh, stick around, though. We're filling in again on the Fortress for John Laws. It'll be our final fill-in today before everything gets back to normal uh, for the start of a brand-new month. February, the first Monday, that's when Lawsy returns. OK, so in the meantime, we'll uh, we'll be back after the news. Before I go, though, um, Chain & Associates, wonderful sponsors of the program, they specialise in strata complex unit and commercial building repairs or upgrades, network construction services. They are the remedial building specialists that you can trust. Whether it's structural repairs, facade and cladding replacement, waterproofing, upgrades to electrical and fire services, improving accessibility, concrete cancer repairs, network construction services bring together over 70 years of combined industry experience. So if you're needing repairs, refurbishments or maintenance to your strata complex unit or your commercial building and you need it completed on time, within budget and to the very highest standards of quality, you know where to go now. Network Construction Services. They are the leaders in remedial building work. You can find out more networkconstructionservices.com.au or call them on 9808-5673. This is Marcus Paul filling in for John Laws on the Super Radio Network.
And welcome to the program on this Friday, January 29, 2021. Marcus Paul in the morning. John Laws, the King of Talkback, returns for you on Monday. Okay, so Monday morning, which will be the first day of February, is when Lawsy returns. Meanwhile, this program all about the news and the views. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. My telephone number 13 12 69. That's 13 12 69. Wherever you're listening to us around Australia, same number. If you want to send a text, 0458 049 209. That's 0458 049 209. And emails directly here to the studio to me. Uh, all you need to do is email MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Friday morning and after 11 days virus-free, Sydney has awoken to relaxed restrictions. 30 guests now allowed indoors, 50 outside and 300 at weddings and funerals. And wouldn't you know it, it's bucketing down. (laughs) Anyway, perhaps the rule which will impact individuals most of all is that masks are no longer mandatory in supermarkets and shopping centres, but they are recommended. Sometimes the government confuses me somewhat when they make these decisions. If you want people to continue wearing masks, don't lift the mandate, quite clearly. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. Queensland's Premier, meanwhile, has been slammed for her calls for the federal government to extend JobKeeper for the tourism industry. What's going on here, Anastasia? For months and months, the federal government and our own government in New South Wales told Miss Palaszczuk her border closure was completely unnecessary and was doing damage to the Queensland economy. They were bleeding millions upon millions of dollars each and every day. But being as stubborn as she is, she kept the border closed, decimating her economy and the tourism industry, and now she's playing the victim with her hands out for federal funds. Well, for Australian taxpayers' money. It's a joke, surely. New South Wales Treasurer Dominic Perrottet says it's not up to taxpayers to bail out Queensland for the economic implications of its own border closures. It'll be the first time in a while that I've agreed with Dominic Perrottet. Meanwhile, Anthony Albanese has unveiled a, unveiled a new-look Labor frontbench as he goes on a charm offensive across the country, appearing, it would appear everywhere apart from my program. Come on, Albo, stop ghosting me. Come on, Anthony, you normally come on. Uh, we tried to place calls to his office to get him on the program. I normally give Albo a better run than anybody. Now I'm being ghosted. I'm very upset. Anyway... Most notable in this new look Labor front bench was the removal of Mark Butler from his role as climate and energy spokesperson. He's been replaced with Chris Bowen, 
whether that will be enough to claw back the blue-collar vote he so desperately needs yet. Uh, well, it's yet to be determined. There are still whispers from within that Mr Albanese won't make it to the next election, which would absolutely ruin that party for two reasons. Firstly, I don't think any government that's currently in power across the country will be voted out amid a pandemic. Not now, not right at the moment. And that's why I also believe Scott Morrison will go early and we could be looking at a spring election this year. And during a pandemic, it's very difficult for opposition parties to really get any traction. And Australia, as we know, has managed the virus quite well. We're up there in the top five nations around the world in dealing with COVID-19. Perhaps the fear of the unknown may prevent anyone else being voted in. Look, also, Australians are sick of leadership spills. If Labor has a leadership spill during the pandemic, they're gone. Probably full stop. I don't know. I really don't know. Now, the party is excellent at self-sabotage. We know that. (laughs) That was made pretty clear when Bill Shorten lost the last election. So who knows what will happen? If you want to have a say on that, give me a call. But look, Albo, to his credit, he's a good bloke. I like Anthony Albanese. A really nice bloke. I wish, though, he'd go a little harder and give us more policy details. uh, Because right at the moment, I'm sorry, I, I just tend to think he's unelectable. I really do. And now, obviously, the Murdoch press and others have sensed on this internal bickering that's going on. You know, Joel Fitzgibbon stepping aside and others. And they are now running a campaign, basically, that Albo is a a lame duck, a dead man walking. Uh, You just need to scroll through the newspaper today to see that's very clear. Uh, They've got a risk rating, if you like, toward the opposition leader's leadership and the most dangerous risk to that leadership according to News Corp is Tanya Plibersek. Meanwhile Australians are now paying back more than 80% of the nearly $250 billion worth of loan deferral since the height of the pandemic which is a good sign that we are recovering well. It follows news yesterday that Sydney property prices have hit an all-time high. The New South Wales Treasurer has again said this is a good indication that property taxes need to be reformed. Dominic Perrottet says stamp duty is locking young Sydney siders out of the property market. Well, he's absolutely right. So let's reform these taxes. Be nice if you got rid of stamp duty altogether, Dom. Hey, Can't see that happening, though. There was good news yesterday afternoon that young Leif Courtney, the 13-year-old boy missing on the Central Coast, was found safe and well. The non-verbal autistic teen had been found on a houseboat some 50 metres offshore from Mooney Mooney. How on earth he got there? Well, I think he swam. He swam around 100 metres to get there. But thank goodness that he's safe and spent last night in his own bed. An adventure for the young man and I bet a massive, massive sigh of relief for his parents and loved ones. Look, tens of thousands of people have signed a petition to the Queensland Government demanding laws around re-offending juveniles be tightened It follows the deaths of Kate Ledbetter and Matty Field when they were hit by this SUV which allegedly was stolen and driven by a 17-year-old grub who was out on bail at the time. In sports, and briefly, uh, the crickets. Fourth place Brisbane Heater up against fifth place Adelaide Strikers in tonight's BBL game. Brisbane's Chris Lynn says the best way to respond to his latest snubbing from national selectors is with a match-winning innings against the Strikers tonight. 
Meanwhile, Matty Wade was axed from the South African tour following a less than impressive summer. That's unfortunate considering he put his hand up to be opening batsman in the first two tests when both David Warner and Will Pukowski were unavailable. Well, you need to pick people who are in form, I guess. And finally, in the NRL, the Warriors have lost their... Well, someone's written superstar fullback here. Jeez, we throw around words like superstar and stars a lot, don't we? Anyway, they've lost their fullback, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, after he signed a deal with New Zealand Rugby. He's eyeing off a spot with the All Blacks at the 2023 World Cup. He's a great player. He'll probably get there. Okay, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And the Fortress text line is open right now, 0458 049 209. One last day left to troll me. One last day to have another argument. I don't want the whole program, though, to head in that direction like it seemed to do yesterday when the abortion debate was opened. Uh, Leone is on the line wanting to talk, yes, you guessed it, about abortions. It's only going to end in tears, probably, for Leone, but we'll do it. We'll do it next. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, aren't you? Of course you? I am. Well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, you I'm saying mean... quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're in the minority, Caroline. Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. The beauty again of living in a democracy. I simply don't agree. And because I'm pro choice, if you like, and I believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the, uh, the current laws, does that mean I'm a bad person? And should I be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me? I don't believe so. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, back to calls now. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you want to have your say. Good morning, Leone. Yes, good morning, Marcus. Yeah, and the only tears I'm worried about today are those who've had abortions. I wanted to comfort them. So, and, and I hadn't planned on ringing yesterday when people were discussing abortion, but... Um, toward the end of the program, I realised that very few people even knew about full-term abortions in Australia and not giving assistance to an aborted baby born alive and shame on the politicians who supported that and the mainstream media who covered it up as they often do. But, Marcus, you rightly said at the end of the program we should now be looking into more adoptions and there are a lot of people who can't have children that would adopt a baby. Yes. But the, the main reason I'm ringing back today is I know there are probably a lot of ladies who are truly sorry that they've had abortions and the guilt can eat away at a person. And they may not talk, you know, about it to many or any others and it's the same with guilt for any wrongdoing. But the only way to deal with this is to humbly come to God and admit your guilt and ask for forgiveness because Jesus said anyone who comes to him, he'll in no wise cast out. And it's just between you and him and he's the only one who can do this because 
he died to take the punishment for our sin. And All right. Uh, I gave you a good run, and Leonie, thank you. Uh, and, and thank you for uh, starting the conversation without a mention of God. But we got there in the end, which I knew we would, but that's fine. Um, Leonie, thank you very much. And I agree. Um, full term abortions, I don't believe. And again, I'm a bloke, but... You know, so what right have I got to really have an opinion? Well, I guess I can have an opinion, but ultimately I believe in the right of a woman to choose what she does with her own body, and that is her right and her right entirely. But full-term abortions? I don't know. I really don't know. And allowing a, a fetus to simply die on a steel bench inside a surgery somewhere is, I don't know, just appalling really and yes why can't we talk about increasing the adoption rate here in australia it's pathetic we should be allowing more australians to adopt because my view and i think leone is obviously sharing it with me is that if we make adoption easier perhaps it may lead to less abortions All right, Bob, are you there? Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Thanks for taking my call. No worries. I'd like to discuss the proposed solar power farm in the Northern Territory. Yep. Um, it's going to be developed by the year 2023. Yep. It's wonderful. I think it's a, I think it's the greatest innovation since the Snowy Hydropower Scheme. Mm. They're going to... Um, they're currently negotiating with Singapore to put a cable all the way under the ocean and power Singapore from the excess power that they create from solar, which which is the way to go with no pollution and, and so much desert in Australia, especially Northern Territory and South Australia, they're leading the way. Well, you've got to wonder why we haven't done it previously. Uh, I agree, Bob. Uh, again, if you're going to put, you know, a solar power station anywhere, you put it where the sun shines the most, and and that's the right way to go about it. And importantly, people will be able to uh, dial in on the grid, and as you say, any excess solar power will be sent overseas. Maybe we can garner some revenue that way. Uh, that's the good part of renewables, perhaps being an economic advantage going forward. Exactly, and. And as for cars, Tesla have got a car that does a thousand kilometres on a charge. You know, like we're heading into a new. There's a new world out there. Like, um, and we've got to grab it by the. Well, true. Uh, and, by the what? <laughs> true. And yeah. what we should be doing is encouraging more and more people to perhaps get into electric vehicles. I made the analogy this morning that if you're looking to buy a second car and you live in the city uh, and you need to run up to the shops and, you know, do those short trips, well, why not get an EV? That's probably good for the environment, obviously. Uh, the problem is it's cost prohibitive at the moment because there's such a, a small market share, Bob. Yep. But it's got to be led by governments, and the ACT are doing it. Like, they're given 24 months free rego for anyone that purchases an electric car, and they're running all their buses down there on, on uh, electricity. Yep. So it, it's, um, it's a way of the future. And look, I've got a house here, and it's a, uh, 
it's a power station of its own. Yeah. I, I'm generating more power than I can use, and I'm not going back to the grid because it, it costs too much money to get the power lines to the grid at the front of my farm. But but anyway, th- thanks for letting me have my say, Marcus, and uh, enjoy your program. No problem, Bob. Good on you, mate. Well done. Uh, Bob's a success story when it comes to solar power. There are people out there who don't agree um, that solar is the way to go, but uh, I know the sun doesn't always shine, but here in Australia it shines more often than not. And if we are going to garner renewable power, solar is the way to go, absolutely. Uh, And we do need to encourage governments to spend more infrastructure, uh, but through private investment though. Private investment is the ones that need to take the risk, not taxpayers. I'm a little sick and tired of all of the subsidies for renewable energies. I don't agree with that. But I do certainly, I mean, you can provide subsidies without, you know, dipping into the public purse. What about tax relief or other kinds of methods in order to encourage renewable energy investment? I don't believe it should be up to the taxpayer. It should be up to, ultimately, a company that wants to go into that business can see that it will provide a profit and be worthwhile. Alrighty, thank you. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. The telephone number. James. Hello there. Are you? Are you on the line, James? Yes, I am, Marcus. Hello, mate. Um, you're looking good. Thank now, you. A while back, I said about uh, electric cars, uh, what they call it, in traffic jams, and that. And the gentleman rang up afterward and said the cars turn themselves off to save their energy. Yeah. Right. Now, I know two things about that. So at night time, so if you're in a traffic jam at night, all of a sudden you're going to have cars in complete blackness, are you? They're all blacked out. That's pretty safe. Or are they going to have lights on, which is going to run the battery down, they're going to run out of charge. And then the other thing, when you get home, you plug your car in to get charged out. How many times do you get blackouts? Oh, trees fall on a power line. So that means in the morning... Your car's not charged. You can't drive it. Well, that's why I said, and that's a terrible line, thank you. That's why I said, James, um, you shouldn't be solely reliant on an EV or an electric vehicle. Um, If you're going to look for a second car, maybe buy one just to run around the shops and to use during the daytime, etc. Not everybody can afford, you know, two vehicles. Of course not. (laughs) Let's be honest. Not many people can afford EVs at the current price that they're on. Of course there are drawbacks. I understand that. But that doesn't mean, in my opinion, we should be ringing up discouraging the use of them. I think we should be encouraging the use of them. Absolutely we should. Uh, Will it get you to Queensland and back? No. But I'd be using your diesel or your, your petrol engine car for that. But for the runs around the city, the inner city, into the suburbs, etc., absolutely. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9am. Scott Morrison, Prime Minister, good morning. G'day, John. I'm calling you. I'm speaking to you from Lismore this morning. <laughs> God, you get around, don't you? Yeah, well, we've been up here um, uh, opening the last section of the Pacific Highway. The John Laws Morning Show returns February 1st. But I do like you. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like you too, John. But you always have, poor devil, you're only human. Yeah, well actually, I used to listen to you, when I was growing up, I'd listen to you all the time. Any opportunity. I used to skip class to listen to radio. I assume you failed recess, did you? You didn't do any schoolwork by the sound of listening to the radio. I shouldn't be telling you this. Look at your ego. Yes, you've always been so modest. Oh, yes, I have. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9am. 
Give me a call, 13 12 69. That's the open line number. Look, I think Anthony Albanese is on the way out. So says former Federal Labor leader Mark Latham. He told me that this morning on the breakfast program. Well, I think he's on the way out, uh, Marcus. Um, you know, politics can be a viper's nest, and there is history to this. I, I think the shortened forces inside the Federal Labor Party, within, well, Albanese was never all that supportive of Bill Shorten. He was undermining where he could. And at different times, he looked like he was trying to tip Shorten out of the job. So, you know, they're, they're keen on uh, a little bit of revenge. But you've got the broader problem of, you know, Albanese, not much personality there, uh, not all that inspiring. He doesn't seem to resonate. You know, I talk to a lot of people about politics uh, on, on the train, on the streets, um, through my office. And I don't hear anyone saying Albanese inspires me, he impresses me, he's got the agenda Australia needs for the future. Now, it, it's been hard for all opposition leaders during the COVID period because well, that's, that's been saturation media coverage. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. But Albanese just doesn't seem to be cutting the mustard, does he? And, and, and that's why I think they're looking at Tanya Plibersek for someone who at least has got some personality, a little bit of charisma and spark. I think she's um, got the wrong policy framework too. They all have, but... I think it'll come down to personal appeal, and, and that's where Albanese's in trouble. There we go, Mark Latham on the program this morning. What do you make of that? <laughs> on the email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com, Dell says, Marcus, ambitious Latham has spent a lifetime trying to lead a party. Finally, he got lucky with the Murdoch party comfortably settled in cushy upper house and his future is financially secured. He would have knocked Pauline off, but New South Wales voters remember his ugliness with John Howard. He failed to get into federal politics. The turncoat knows he will never topple Pauline, who has enough followers to protect her. Your pin-up hangs out with 2SM where he's safely protected. From Dell. i I got no idea what the hell you're talking about there with pin-up. Anyway... Uh, 13-12-69 Del, maybe come back with me and explain what you mean by the pin-up comments and Dennis Marcus Anthony Albanese does not know when the election will be well no, but come on he, there are plenty of well-paid people within his party who probably have a really good idea Dennis, and I think they're on election footing right now anyway, Dennis goes on to say obviously then it would be foolish to allow the opposition and Murdoch press to either attack or steal Labor's policies again it would be foolish of Mr Albanese to show his hand, better he keep it close to his chest and reveal his policies as close as possible to the day of the election after all that is what Tony Abbott did when he defeated Kevin Rudd, Mr Abbott did not reveal any policies, all he had was the slogan, great big tax to fight Labor with it did him no harm. All right, mate, well said. Hello, Maureen, are you there? Lorraine. Ah, Lorraine. Okay, we'll go to Lorraine first, then Maureen. Lorraine, yes. Oh, sorry. That's okay, um, Can you please tell me it, why is there is no cut-off point mm. for the methadone program? Well, I don't know. So why is there no cut-off point for the methadone program? Probably because we want to try and get people off the gear. But 20 mm. years mm. and more? Yeah, you're right. I, I, I despise these 
types of setups. I really do. I, I just despise them. It's almost as if you're saying, well, you know, we've lost the war on drugs, so here we go. Um, you know, the back of St Mary's and other places around the west of Sydney, we've set aside a little bit of an area where you can, you know, go and get your methadone. And, and oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just, I've, I've found a few people, I've heard of a few people, mm. I know of one, yeah. that been on it for well over 20 years. I mean, I thought it was supposed to get you off drugs. Well, sadly, some people get hooked on what's supposed to get them off drugs. Uh, what's the lesser of two evils? Perhaps it is methadone. I'm not quite sure. How much does it cost? I, I might need to do yeah. a bit of work on it, Lorraine. All right, then. Okay, well... No, that's a, but you make a, a really good point, and I'm glad you've brought it up because it's not on the public's radar at the moment. Let's let's see if we can get well, it I there. Well, I think it should be because yeah, taxpayers okay. are paying for this. Absolutely, yes. And, yeah, 20 years, that's a bit bloody stupid, excuse me. Fair enough. No, I completely understand. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye. From Lorraine to Maureen. I think Maureen's there now. Are you there, Maureen? Uh, all right, we'll try it this way. Maureen, hello. Hello, can you hear me? Ah, I've got you now, Maureen. Sorry, I don't know what was wrong last time. Marcus, I just wanted to ring up on your last day and say thank you for filling in for John. I've been thoroughly entertained, <laughs> laughed my head off at some of your calls. Thank you. Um, and just want to thank you. Oh, that's very kind. There's no need. I'm still around. Uh, you can still listen at breakfast time if you so wish to. Um, and you can listen online or you can listen live in Sydney on DAB or uh, to the program on 1269. But Maureen, that's very kind of you. Okay. When you get home tonight, have a beer or wine or a cup of tea <laughs> and know you've done a bloody good job filling in. It's very kind. Thanks so much. 131269. John, good morning. How are you? Hello, John. Are you there? John couldn't hold on. We'll go to Les. Les, are you there, mate? No, John. All right. Les is listening in delay. <laughs> One more time. Uh, Kevin, hello. Yeah, good morning. How are you? All right, thank you, Kev. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, right. Uh, all I wanted to say to you, mate, is uh, I'm uh, a bit worried about us propping up this uh, tourist industry uh, for so long. Uh, you know, they've only been in trouble for 12 months. Uh, what about our farmers out west that have been in drought for seven or eight years? Uh, what are we doing for them? Well, look, some people would say we've we've put a lot of support in place for, for drought-ravaged Australia, which we probably have. We've spent a lot of taxpayer money to try and support people in the bush during droughts. But, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a bit rich, I think, for the Palaszczuk government to now put their hands out, considering they ignored federal health advice, which said very clearly on a number of occasions there is no need for you to have your border closed. Exactly. Yeah, she's, she's caused a lot of the stress that's in Queensland for having the borders closed so long, and you don't have to be a rocket science to work that out. No, you don't. You're absolutely right. Uh, look, I, I feel desperately sorry for people in southeast Queensland, those on the Gold Coast, those on the sunny coast, and those involved in the, the hospitality and tourism industries. I mean, uh, imagine, oh, so imagine having trying to have run... A, uh, a small business operation in tourism or hospitality while you've got a Premier ignoring federal health advice. Oh, look, I feel terribly sorry for him as well, but I think, mm. uh, you know, fair enough. We've, we've helped him a fair way down the track. I, I think it's about time we uh, sort of, I don't know, halved, say halved it or made the quarter of the money and, and, and tried to help uh, some of those farmers that have been in drought for bloody 10 years, you know? No, fair enough. Good call. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it very much. 
13, 12, 69. Now, New South Wales's first COVID-19 vaccination sites have been revealed. 11 vaccine hubs will be established at the largest hospitals across New South Wales. They include Royal Prince Alfred, Westmead, Liverpool, Hornsby, St George, Nepean, Newcastle, Wollongong, Coffs Harbour, Dubbo and Wagga Wagga Hospitals. They will be the first to offer what they're calling Phase 1A priority groups, the Pfizer vaccine, from next month. Additional hubs and clinics may come online if more doses of the vaccine are made available. That's according to New South Wales Health. And importantly as well, medical teams will also be sent to aged care homes to vaccinate almost a half a million residents and staff under a plan to deliver jabs outside hospitals and hubs. The federal government will take responsibility for inoculating this sector after so-called costly mistakes between federal and state authorities last year when 678 people died from COVID-19 in aged care. Look, I don't quite understand that part of the scenario. Aren't the federal governments in charge of aged care? Come on. Anyway... Volunteers will be included in the program alongside residents and staff, and it's set to begin as soon as the Pfizer vaccine is available. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Look, there are concerns about the other vaccine, the, um, the one that's not Pfizer, the one that's expected a little later, AstraZeneca, etc. Uh, the concern there is that it might not be effective for people over the ages of 65. It may not be. Anyway, we'll follow up on more detail with that. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number to have your say. Hello, Jackie, how are you? Oh, good, thanks. How are you? Well, thanks, Jackie. What's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to clarify a few things that Naomi, was it, brought up. Um, no, there's no termination for full-term babies that happens in Australia. So um, I'm a midwife, and I can tell you that um, most definitely. Um, any terminations that would happen at term is, is because there is something wrong with the baby and it wouldn't survive anyway. Well, yes, I, I get that point, yes. And, and there's no way a baby's left on a slab. Every baby's treated with the utmost respect. It's, but it is definitely something that's not, not performed just, just for the, the sake right. of somebody not wanting a baby. Well, if, I, if I can ask you, uh, with respect, what happens to, say, uh, an aborted fetus under 20 uh, weeks which some claim is still a living thing, and what happens to it? Uh, look, I, I know this is going to be probably distressing for a number of people, but let's say there's an abortion that's happened, even if it's over 20 weeks or whatever it is, what every, happens every to ba- it? Every baby that's birthed, for, for whatever reason, is treated with respect. So they're never just left on slabs, and most of those terminations, especially in the public system, won't be performed unless there's a medical reason. Yes. Uh, so that, um, these babies were not going to survive life. Yes. So it's very distressing for the, pe- the, the the parents that this happens to. Oh, absolutely. And, and look, uh, I'm not having I'm a... I'm, I'm certainly... And and I thank you for, for being uh, your candour on this. And I'm certainly not... Uh, I don't wouldn't be critical of, of people like you. I mean, I'm sure you've got a, a very tough job, Jackie, and it would be absolutely awful for, you know, to have stillbirths and to have to deal with uh, with abortions and all the rest of it in, in your line of work. And, and I thank you very much for, for sharing this yeah, information uh, with us. That's okay. I think that Naomi's a bit left field with her. Um, you know, these people have to go through this. It's really distressing for them. 
um, to, to hear her say something about God's going to punish him or whatever, it's just... Well, yeah. yes, uh, I know. <laughs> anyway. There are a number of uh, people who believe that. I, I And, you know, unfortunately... Um, I think that they are uh, devoid of reality of what the real life is, perhaps. Her name is Leonie, anyway, and the other woman that rang yesterday that had a crack as well. Maybe these women need to perhaps go on a... Uh, perhaps a shift with you, Jackie. Get them in there. (laughs) Take them into the room where these sorts of procedures happen. 90% of the time, my job's wonderful, but when it's sad, it's sad for everyone. So it's never taken lightly, and there's no baby just thrown anywhere. So... Yeah, all, all right. right. I just won't get any point out of it. <laughs> no, I think it's okay. wonderful that nice you've run through because you're in the, uh, you know, you're in the profession. You're at the front line, so-called, of, of abortions, and and thank you very much for that. Um, again, I uh, I do understand that uh, there will be babies that are born alive that won't make it. I mean, I would imagine that would be just devastating for not only uh, the parents. But of, of course, for midwives like Jackie, as she said it very clearly, it's sad for everybody involved. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. No, oh, I'm not, you moron. From all of the texts and phone calls I get, Ralph, think you're an absolute nut job. Yeah, well, that's what Satan would say. And Satan wants to. Well, I got an email as well from Satan. He says exactly the same thing. Marcus, this is Satan. Ralph is a nut job. Yes, mate. I'd just like to bring to your attention that the more people that ring up and complain about you, the better, and we'll get you off the air. Oh, really? Thank you very much, mate. The only way to get through to some of you people because some of you people, people morons. Well, you are a moron, Rob. And um, mate, you um, should be taken off the air. As I'll quick be as taken possible. off the air. Why, Rob? Because then I wouldn't be able to have fun with complete knobs like you. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, really good message from Jan regarding electric cars and Queensland border closures. If you want to send me a message, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. G'day, Marcus. I usually agree with you on most things, but of course, not always. Yesterday, you said that petrol driven cars will always dominate in Australia because of the vast distances involved. First point, majority of drivers rarely get out of the cities and the coastal fringe, apart from a few major highways at busy times. When you get out of the towns, the roads are mainly empty. I used to drive regularly between Dubbo and West Wyalong. For the most part of the trip, you would be lucky to see another car every 10 minutes. Second point, you are aware that the NRMA, in conjunction with the government, are installing electric charging stations all over New South Wales. Third point, It is possible to drive from Sydney to Melbourne now with no problem charging your car. Fourth point. Jeez. Jan, thank you. Uh, With the rapidly evolving technology of battery storage and electric car technology, the distances without needing a change will increase. Not too far down the track to the stage where they probably won't need charging en route at all. And finally... You have heard today that General Motors Holden will not be producing any petrol or diesel cars after 2035. Yeah, look, I agree with all of those points, and I thank you for them, Jan. It's a really good email. Um, Let me clarify. Uh, I have said right now that I don't believe electric cars are viable. My first point is they're too damn expensive. The second point is, yes, although there are 
a number of charging points uh, being established at the moment, which is great. They're still a long way off from being viable and in every port, if you like. There'll be, there'll be a time, absolutely, no doubt, when every single um, uh, petrol station will have a charging port. No doubt whatsoever, that is the way we're headed. But thank you. Uh, Regarding border closures, Jan also says Anastasia has nothing to apologise for. Compare the COVID cases and COVID-free days of New South Wales and Queensland over the pandemic. As as for Mr Perrottet, it's a shame he didn't have the interests in the health of the victims of his disastrous eye care scheme that Anastasia has for the health of Queenslanders. Well, on that point, I agree. Thank you. But on the Anastasia Palaszczuk point, I disagree. I think there's something desperately wrong when we have a state premier disregarding the brightest medical minds in the country. The brightest medical minds in the country, the chief medical officers of our country, were very clear in their statements that they didn't believe that border closures were the way to go. But Anastasia, for whatever reason, chose to ignore that. And I think it costs jobs and it costs Queenslanders and the economy dearly. commander-in-chief out there. Um, See, the king is back on Monday. John, as we know, is back Monday morning, 9am. I can see the fortress being prepared as I speak. And there he is. He's there. James polishing the golden microphone. Uh, He's been vacuuming. He's been mopping down floors. He's been, look, absolutely. I mean, you could eat off the floor in in the fortress. Absolutely you could. You're doing a good job out there, Commander-in-Chief. He does this each and every year. We don't call it a spring clean. We call it a lawsy clean. Every time lawsy goes on a break, uh, we get a little slack. Occasionally. And then a few days before the king returns, we prepare the palace. Absolutely we do. You missed a spot just out there. You got it? Beautiful. News next, and then we'll get back to your calls. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9am. Oh, God, we've got Norman. We might as well get it over and done with him. Norman, are you there? Give it away, OK? It's painful to listen to you every morning. And I'm sure the callers out there, if you were honest people out there... You'd ring up and tell him to go. Why? Why? What? Excuse, excuse me a minute, Norman. Excuse me a moment. You disgusting, unbelievably incredible grub. Now listen to me. Why do you listen to the? Why do you listen to the program? What I'm you, looking after you, John. And what? What the hell are you talking? What are you talking about anyway, Norman? I don't know what you're talking about. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9 a.m. All right, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. I'm trying to track down Emma Hurst from the New South Wales Animal Justice Party. Uh, she's made a, a post this morning that I'm interested in, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. 
Emma says thousands of dingoes every year are scalped, shot, fumigated or poisoned. In fact, experts have told her the government's 1080 poison program could wipe out dingoes entirely. How can this be allowed to happen? Because they are the only native animal in this country that are not a protected species. That's how. Dingoes, according to Emma, are confident, friendly, patient, but also curiously independent, intelligent and self-willed. If we continue the way we are now, we could lose these precious native animals forever. Uh, There's a petition that's been started by Dingo Den Animal Rescue calling for the protection and survival of these animals. We've put a link up on our socials. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and press on my page there. It'll take you to that story. A link as well if you want to sign this petition. Uh, and all of the other content that we have on the program. There's plenty of uh, stories up there, uh, extensive details on the issue regarding Labor and Anthony Albanese. There's uh, interviews, podcasts, and plenty of information that you can follow with the show. It just goes into a little more detail. So please follow us there. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, just go to 2smsupernetwork.com. Les, are you there, Les? Yes, yes. Morning, Les. Good morning, Marcus. How are you this morning? Well, thank you, Les. I've got very bad phone here, so if I cut out or you disconnect me, that's cool. You stole a lot of my phone. The first thing about electric cars, during the election, there's a whole lot of misinformation went out there about the electric cars, like, oh, government's trying to tell you what to drive, the end of the ute, everyone left to have a power star, uh, charging station, the block of units, who paying for that. There's been enormous advances in that. And when you now look at business, small business, when electric, small electric cars come down to about 20000 now the business be able to write off half that. Instead of costing them 15000 a year in fuel, uh, which they claim in their tax, it would be about 3000 well, that's so, why a lot of, yeah, sorry, mate, to interrupt you. That's why a lot of yeah. councils uh, are using yeah. electric v- vehicles or EVs, if you want to call them that, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing is that there's tests being carried out now in Sweden where it's like a, uh, when you're going along a highway, you go to a rest stop, well, there, there'll be a, a um, electric stop, and you just slowly drive through there for about a kilometre, Back on the highway, your car's charged. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm sure we'll get that technology here eventually. Anthony, good morning. G'day, mate. Look, uh, good to listen. This is your final day, isn't it? Sure is. Of this shift, mate, anyway. Uh, well, well, have a good rest anyway, mate. It's been Thank terrific. You. Look, you had, you had a call you, uh, earlier talking about the big Northern Territory solar project. Yeah. And far, by, far be it for me to pour, pour cold water on him. It's called the Sun Cable Project. It's got two of Australia's richest guys backing it up, Cannon Brooks and Twiggy Forrester. Uh, it's going to cost $22 billion. As usual, as guys are not rich in the rand pocket, uh, the taxpayer will be paying for a lot of it, and overseas taxpayers, they're getting overseas funding. And it's supposed to supply a power to Singapore, which is 4,500 uh, kilometres away. Yeah. But Singapore hasn't signed up yet because they can't guarantee supply. This is the thing, solar power. It sets at night, the sun sets at night, and the battery backup that they've got there is a 10 gigawatt hour uh, a battery backup, which will be by far the biggest in the world, but it will only supply one hour backup when the sun sets at night. So how are they going to guarantee supply? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just, look, 
for that price of $22 billion, which is going to cost, that's the estimate at this stage, they could supply three times as much as the new coal-fired HELE uh, coal-fired power plants, which China is building, or nearly twice as many, the new generation nuclear power plants, which China is always building. Why are we so afraid of delving into nuclear energy here in Australia? I don't understand. We, we, the country is so rich with uranium. Well, uh, Fukushima, what happened in, in Japan and uh, the, the misrepresentation, the facts there, uh, and also Chernobyl. Well, there, there's been a couple yeah. of bad incidents with nuclear and that's tainted the whole project. But France has been running on, on nuclear for nearly 40 years without a problem. Yeah, but I don't and understand. I mean, uh, probably, uh, and I, don't, I mean no disrespect, obviously, to, to those two disasters and people who've lost their lives, but more people have died in car accidents plane disasters and other mishaps uh, than probably have lost their lives through these two nuclear mishaps, let's be honest. And as you say, uh, two mishaps in, in how many years with how many countries now turning on nuclear? I mean, I think the risk probably would be worth it, wouldn't it? Absolutely, mate. And Fukushima, don't forget, they were 40-year-old generators and they had some of the best fail-proof uh, systems in, in, in the world. They just didn't anticipate a 13-metre-high uh, tidal wave no, from one of the right. biggest earthquakes uh, that's ever been recorded. As I say, France is the template for this. They've been running successfully for 40 years yep. with no problems. Um, they've got a different uh, type of generation from the US. They've got a two-generation, which is brilliant because it gets rid of a lot of the uh, waste product, which is the other complaint that they make about nuclear. But the new generation nuclear power plants, uh, Marcus, they run at much higher temperatures like the new coal-fired power plants. You've got almost no waste at all. Yep. All right, mate. Great call. Appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Anthony always does his work on this. <laughs> Uh, Jay, good morning. You there, Jay? Hello, Jay. All right, Jay didn't hold on. Michael, are you there? Yeah, mate. Hi, mate. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Look, I'm listening to the program. Marcus, there's one little point that's been overlooked about the electric vehicles. Sure. Um, these batteries are like all rechargeable batteries. Eventually, they have to be replaced. Yes. Right. Now, we had to replace the main battery in our hybrid Camry that I drive. It was over $4,500. Wow. Now, you know what I've been reliably informed the batteries in a Tesla are going to cost? Tell me. Between eleven and 13000 Well, what's the point then if that's the case? Look, they work in mm. the big cities. Yeah. But how many times would you or people listening to me gone out and turned the key in the car and never had a flat battery? Well, not often. Yeah, well, look, unless they come up with something to warn of an impending, you know, battery failure, just think what would happen, say, if the battery decided to quit in one of these Teslas between, say, West Wyalong and Hay. Well, see, that's my point. That's why I believe we're still a long way off. I mean, it's it's okay in places like Europe where they can sell more of these things, countries with a bigger population, but a much smaller geography than what Australia has. I mean, yeah. they they work in Europe, of course, because uh, of the fact that, uh, you know, uh, basically the population isn't as spread out as what we are here in Australia, and they're, a, you know, a fraction of the size of probably New South Wales, some of these nations. 
Yeah, well, that's, that's just the point I wanted to say. That, look, the, the same point that has been missed is these batteries, eventually they have to be replaced, and not too many people on average wages are going to have between eleven and $13,000 to replace a battery on a Tesla. Well, let's be honest, at, at this rate, now, not many people can afford EVs anyway. But look, it's great to hear all sides of this debate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. Ross, also wanting to talk about electric cars. G'day, Ross. Marcus, can you hear me? I got you, Ross. What did you want to say, mate? Uh, Toyota already have a Corolla out. All electric generates its own power as it moves forward. Uh, no, no, you don't have to plug it in all the time like the others. Yeah. And, um, They've also got a hybrid uh, electric petrol one out too. Also, MG, Morris Garage, has got a, a new uh, car, electric uh, vehicle out, $17,000. But you've got to plug that in at night, say. But Toyota got one, you don't have to worry about plugging it indoor, mate. That's true. All right. I've advertised them on TV. Good on you, mate. I appreciate that, Ross. Thank you. Have a my, great day and a nice pleasure. weekend. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. Uh, Denise on social media says, Marcus, electric cars, remember when the LGP gas was cheap, then thousands converted, then the price went up nearly as much as petrol, then the same with diesel. I am so sure with this, we'll follow the same path. And yes, the batteries, whatever transport we choose, we are going to get slugged. Denise in Newcastle. Yeah, look, Denise, you're probably right. Unfortunately, when governments see um, the populace attracted to something like uh, LPG, diesel, probably electricity. You're right, they'll find a way to tax us. I have absolutely no doubt about that, and (laughs) I'd like to be more optimistic, but I know, Denise, you're probably right. Terry, good morning, Terry. How are you, buddy? Oh, good, thank you. Uh, Just a few quick comments. There was electric buses when I was born in 1960. Yep. Uh, the Japanese subs that came into Sydney were battery-powered. Yep. The only vehicle to move in Sydney during the Second World War um, privately was an eccentric guy who had an electric car because you couldn't use fuel. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, it does not, when you go and turn the key in your $100,000 Mercedes, um, and it won't start because the camshaft's broken... Um, does that not have to be replaced, and is it not costly? Well, absolutely, or if you lose an alternator, or if you have to replace, you know, clutches. Look, I understand the point. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about electric cars is there are so many, um, not, you know, a small amount of moving parts, and we've got an engine and a battery. You know, in a car we've got motors, gearboxes, and all the rest of it. Yeah which can all break down and be very, very costly. Well, that's true. That is true. I mean, combustible engines, uh, as you say, have a lot of moving parts, and if something yep. don't work, <laughs> you're, NRMA, you're up for money anyway. Yes? The NRMA have had um, charging stations around the country um, free for the last 12 months, if not 18 months, for their members. Yep. You know, and I've seen some really flash vehicles sitting at those battery chargers. Mm-hmm. We're not talking... You know, rubbish cars. These are very, very expensive Oh, cars. some of the EVs are beautiful. Uh, and, and maybe that is part of the problem too, right at the moment, because the, I guess, the market share is so small, Terry, um, yep. and the, the, the cost is exorbitant and, and probably out of the reach of, say, how, uh, how average much Australians. Those, 
How yeah. much are the little cars, those Toyota Echo or something like They're really small. They've got a badge name, you know, Zap or... Are you talking about... Oh, well, we've had a... Uh, uh, Bowen from Bowen's Garage, who's on the breakfast show, uh, he's done a uh, some work for us on the Nissan Leaf, um, right. and he told us that you're still looking at around. I think he said the podcast is up if you want to listen back to my chat with him this morning. But I think he said even at that small uh, entry level, you're still looking at mid forties. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're quite expensive, but it doesn't mean they can't be used. And um, why is somebody so um, privileged about coal. <laughs> well, I it's don't a little, know. you know. And one other thing about your uranium um, comment: yellow cake uranium. Yes, it's basically harmless. Mm. It's what they do to it to make it into the powerful weapon or power station that becomes the problem. Well, that's right, but, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure if they've been able to do it in places like uh, France in Europe and been able to do it safely and successfully with no issues, no problems to the populace, surely we can do it here in Australia. I would have thought. But, Terry, uh, you make some great points as always, mate. Thank you for the call. I really appreciate it. 131269, if you would like to have your say. John, are you there, John? Yes. Hello, John. What's uh, on your mind? Yeah, I'm, I want to back up what that Anthony was saying about this supposed bloody solar farm in the Northern Territory, it's, you know, like it's, it's in fantasy land still at this stage. Um, also, as I agree with your comment there earlier, that if the, if the renewable sector was so flash, how come we're subsidising it to such a degree? Well, that's why I said, to be honest, uh, if you want to go renewable even more so, how about we cut all of the taxpayer subsidies? I mean, certainly we need to pull back on them at the very least, and we allow private enterprise to take the risk. Why should taxpayers be taking a risk when it comes to energy? Well, the reason you won't get private enterprise to do it because there's no money in it. The, the, the only reason that these renewables mob keep up is because we're propping them up. And like you say about these electric cars, it might be great for the city, but it won't work out in the, in the country. And they haven't got any way of storing this power, you know, like that yeah. biggest battery in the world that Adelaide bang on about how great it is, if you hook that up to Tomigo aluminium smelter in, in Newcastle, it'll run it for eight minutes. Well, that's right. And we know that Tomigo in Newcastle is the biggest energy user uh, pretty much in the country. Yeah, well said. Appreciate it. Thirteen twelve sixty nine, the telephone number. Now on the emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Harry regarding Albo. Marcus, listen, Albo just needs to sit back and watch Scott Morrison self-implode. What? If you scratch the surface and scrutinise the Prime Minister's performance, then you will find plenty of scandals. Albo need only bring these to the fore, close to the election. Murray, darling, sports rorts, robo-debt, East Timor bugging, $444 million grant to the Great Barrier Reef Foundation where no tender was issued. Peter Dutton, au pair, Barnaby's girlfriend's 180000 job when she was moved into Matt Canavan's office. Barnaby's dodgy $80 million water buyback going to another politician's mate. What happened to Barnaby? $675,000 when he was special drought envoy. Wow. Angus Taylor, Josh Frydenberg on native grasses. Fraudulent how to vote signs for Liberal candidates. Gladys, uh, 
Yes, and Josh Frydenberg, fake fake how-to-vote cards in Peter Dutton's set of Dixon designed to trick Greens voters. I could keep going. Harry, well, maybe you need to get in contact with Albo's office. Perhaps you can look after his campaign. But look, I don't know whether that's going to work a smear campaign against the federal government. I don't know. I don't think so. Anyway, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Just in relation to the dingo story, Emma Hurst from the New South Wales Animal Justice Party will call in just after 10.30, or actually I should say, will call in in around 10 minutes. That's probably a better way of putting it. Uh, We're running on New South Wales Daylight Saving Time down here. Marcus Paul in the morning, filling in for John Laws. I thank Marcus. He's a very good broadcaster, full stop. We love this industry. We love what we're doing. Marcus wouldn't mind doing a double at all. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 131269. All right, Lawsy, um, he's back on Monday, of course. Swell has sent me a note here again, Marcus. The border closures and COVID and the brightest health officials in the country is hypothetical. No one knows what would have happened if all borders were open. Is the Queen? Queensland health official not a bright one. The Premier was being advised by her. She has been the longest serving in all of Australia. My 97-year-old mum uh, in an AGC, aged care centre on the Gold Coast is still with us and this could have been uh, because of the rules in place which we all adhered to. Just my little bit. Hope you get to see your dad soon. Yeah, well, hopefully I will. And, and Swell, I do appreciate, uh, as you know, on this program, alternate opinions, um, in particular, uh, something as uh, as intelligent as that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I kind of disagree, but um, you, you're there in Queensland. And I get it. I really do get it. And I understand as well. Of course, Anastasia Palaszczuk was being advised by a very bright medical team. I get that. I really do. Uh, but... I don't know, at what cost to local businesses, at what cost to the economy up there, and at what cost to people who, uh, you know, relied on tourists. But, you know, uh, I understand we can't be always thinking about the economy and jobs, or can we? I'm not sure. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Uh, Mike is on the open line. G'day, Mike. How are you, mate? Mike, are you there? Boy, oh boy. John, what about you? Are you there, John? Yes, Marcus. How are you today? Well, thank you, John. What's on your mind? Oh, just about the cars, how they're powered. Many years ago, probably 20 years ago, I pulled in to fill up my diesel vehicle. And a chap uh, in the next Bowser went to his boot and got a hose out. I thought, oh, he's getting the hose out to fill up his radiator. No, he opened the, the petrol cap and just filled... Filled the uh, the uh, the tank up with water. And I, th- I thought, geez, geez, <laughs> you know, am I spinning out here or what? But uh, I it clicked straight away on the electronics technician. And I thought, okay, he's converted his car to uh, <coughs> separate the oxygen from the two molecules of hydrogen in the water, <laughs> and uh, he was running. He was running his vehicle on uh, hydrogen power. Fair enough. So I had a- I had a yak to him, yeah. and uh, he said, yeah, he did it at home. It took him about a month. He had to water a couple of little things from uh, America, I think. Yep. And, uh, yeah, just separated the oxygen from the H2, and uh, it was just uh, powered, and 
passed by the RMS, and that was quite safe Good. and everything. No yeah. explosion problems. Good. But the government didn't, don't, don't want to have a part to do with it because there's no minerals to be dug up to get the... Um, uh, they use in batteries the uh, lithium, yes, uh, etc. Yep, and uh, and um, no money in hydrogen, uh, basically. No, and that's why the government don't want to, don't want to borrow it. Yep. But I'm, I'm concerned about what we're going to do with these batteries when once they are totally exhausted. Yes, um, gee, it's going to be a terrible. Uh, oh, I don't know. Well, they, they could recycle them, or yeah. know, where they have to just uh, bury them in the ground. I, I I don't know. All right. Well, all I can say is let's hope by the time that comes, we'll have developed some technology to recycle them and reuse them or use the parts or, or something. I don't know. But it's a really good point. What do you make of this? And New Zealand advising Australia to show China some respect. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little uh, miffed at this. So the uh, the foreign minister in New Zealand's had a crack at us. I mean, they're about to sign more deals with Beijing uh, the mob across the Dutch. But is it like Jacinda Ardern, who I actually like, is, you know, snuggling up to communist China while giving Australia a bit of a backhander? That's what it comes across like to me. And who are the Kiwis to advise Australia to show China respect? I don't know. Uh, look, I'm in two minds. I know we have to be diplomatic. I know we have to be a little careful. And obviously, they're our large, largest trading partner. But by the same token, I mean, somebody at least needs to call out um, communism, needs to call out the dictatorial state, and needs to call out Beijing on a range of issues, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's human rights violations. I'm going to be honest, I think the... The fact that the Kiwis are asking us to show China some respect is about as ridiculous as China at the United Nations showing Australia to pick up its act when it comes to, I don't know, uh, human violations, human rights violations. This coming from China, who are probably amongst the worst human rights violators on this planet. So I think both of them need to shut the hell up, both China and New Zealand and just leave Australia alone. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. not, you moron, from all of the texts and phone calls I get, Ralph, think you're an absolute nut job. Yeah, well, that's what Satan would say. And Satan wants to... Well, I got an email as well from Satan. He says exactly the same thing. Marcus, this is Satan. Ralph is a nut job. Yes, mate. I'd just like to bring to your attention that the more people that ring up and complain about you, the better, and we'll get you off the air. Oh, really? Thank you very much, mate. The only way to get through to some of you's people because some of you's people, people morons. Well, you are a moron, Rob. And um, mate, you um, be taken off the air. As I'll be taken off the air. Why, Rob? Because then I wouldn't be able to have fun with complete knobs like you. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Could you imagine an Australia without dingoes? No, 
I couldn't either. Well, thousands of these native dogs every year are scalped, shot, fumigated or poisoned. In fact, experts have told um, a number of people the government's 1080 poison program could wipe out dingoes entirely. Surely we can't allow this to happen. They are the only native animal in our country that are not a protected species. I want to talk to Emma Hurst about this from the Animal Justice Party New South Wales. Emma, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Marcus. I was uh, very uh, alarmed when I saw this post of yours this morning, Dingoes. As you say, a confident, friendly, patient, but also curiously independent, intelligent, self-willed. Can we, are we really at risk of losing these native animals forever? Yeah, look, I mean, they're really under threat. I mean, the dingo is listed as a vulnerable species by the International Union uh, for the Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, um, but they're still the only Australian mammal that's not protected under the National Parks and Wildlife Act. Um, in fact, under the Rural Lands Protection Act, they're considered wild dogs, which are declared as noxious animals. Um, and that's why we're seeing so many dingoes being killed um, in the way that you've just described, um, 1080 poison, scalping. And a lot of this is government-funded as well. So the government um, will often give bounties for the scalps of dingoes. Um, and, and obviously there's a, a massive 1080 program, and, and 1080 is just an absolutely hideous poison. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of this killing of these dingoes is intentional. Um, we don't know, and I'm hearing from conservation and experts that um, that these animals could be under a, a conservation risk and, and we could see the end of dingoes in Australia if we don't start acting. Do we have a, a rough uh, count of how many remain at this stage? Look, we actually need to do an investigation. So what okay. we really need to do is to find out what the current status of the species is. Um, so at the moment, they're not listed as threatened um, in, in Australia, but we need to... But there, there's no sort of real definite numbers at the moment. So there needs to be an investigation. And if they are considered threatened, um, then they need to be considered a threatened mammal under the Threatened Species Conservation Act. Um, but at the moment, um, you know, we're still waiting and trying to get that investigation up and running. Emma, what about uh, this program at the moment is going all over country, Australia. What about farmers listening to us who might say, well, it's all very well uh, for you city slickers to, to say stop killing and, you know, uh, getting rid of dingoes, but they're a pest. They're a pest to our farm uh, operations. They're a pest to native, other native flora and fauna. Uh, I mean, what would you say to those who would run around and say, Emma, look, you're being a little hysterical here. Look, dingoes have been around for thousands of years, you know, like this is this is their country. Um, you know, and, and I actually went and visited Dingo Den, which is a rescue organisation for these animals, and yes. they are just such beautiful animals. Yep. Um, and they also work with a lot of Indigenous groups and Indigenous cultures mm -hmm. um, that are also fighting to try and save these animals. Um, they're just absolutely beautiful animals, and we need to learn to coexist. Uh, we can't be poisoning these animals with poisons that, you know, cause these animals immense suffering. And, you know, over 48 hours, I won't go into detail about no, what 1080 does because it's yeah. so horrific, but 48 hours, uh, I mean, that is simply inexcusable. Um, and, you know, like they're just, as I say, you know, they're such beautiful animals. Um, there are groups like Dingo Den and other dingo rescue groups 
that are really educating people on, uh, you know, the way that dingoes have adapted to the Australian, um, to, to live here in Australia. Um, and it, it's, it's, we need to, we need to just ensure that these animals, if they are threatened, are protected. Um, we can't lose this species in Australia. No, I, well, I agree entirely. And if they are at risk, and uh, certainly, I, I, as you know, I'm a, a strong supporter of yours. So I don't want any animals euthanized using this disgusting, hideous poison. First and foremost, uh, I mean, there's got to be a, a moral responsibility above all else if you are to cull any animal, not to do it inhumanely. I mean, I don't agree with culling these animals anyway. Absolutely. And, and look, what we're hearing is that, you know, that these animals could potentially be a, a threatened species. Um, and, and as I said, they're definitely yeah. at the moment listed as a vulnerable species um, by the International Union for Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources. Um, so we do need to have a look um, and to make sure that there is a government investigation on how many of these animals we actually have. Um, we can't just regard them as, as some kind of noxious animal that needs to be, um, you know, baited and trapped and hunted. Uh, we need to ensure that they are protected and we need to recognise that these animals have been in this country for a very long time um, and that they are considered a native animal to Australia by many. No, absolutely. All right, good to chat with you as always, Emma. I put a link up uh, to your page, which has the uh, Dingo Den site and where people can sign a petition. Uh, let's Great. continue the fight to protect Australian animals. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Take care. There she is, Emma Hurst from the New South Wales Animal Justice Party. Uh, what do you say to that? Thirteen twelve sixty nine, the telephone number, if you'd like to uh, have your say. All right, give me a call, 13 12 69, the number. Hello, Steve, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, mate, what did you want to say? Oh, hello, Marcus, I'm talking to you, am I? Yes, mate. How you going, mate? Well, yeah, thank you. no, mate, I just listened to the, um, the, the debate interview, about yes. the dingoes. Yes. Yep. The debate about the dingoes. Yeah. Um, mate, mate, why don't we eat them like everything else? Like, well, I don't know. Have you ever eaten a dingo before, Steve? Do you know what they taste like? Uh, no, I have not, and I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, rather than poison them, I yeah. kill them humanely and eat them. Um, probably because I don't think they'd be that appetising, and we don't really eat cats and dogs here in Australia. We're not Chinese. Hello, Jeff, are you there? Jeff, are you there? Boy, oh boy, can we please check these phones, boys? God's sake. Uh, righto. Um, Peter. Peter's there. Are you there, Peter? Oh, good morning, Marcus. Morning, Pete. Um, about that uh, Prime Minister over New Zealand. Jacinda Ardern, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should have all respect for China. Does he read the papers and what they've done to the Muslim fraternity over there and the Hong Kong and all that? He doesn't seem to get it, does he? No, I don't think he does at all. Uh, this is the, and I've forgotten his name, I'll, I'll find it in my notes in a moment. Uh, yes, uh, the, the foreign affairs bloke, for the Kiwis, basically has turned around and said, well, you know, you Aussies need to show China a little bit more respect. <laughs> okay. Well, 
Well, I think uh, they're going to regret dealing with China with that road and belt theory. It's mainly that China can instill themselves in our country and say all the Terrium ways and how they want to manipulate things. We've only seen it here now. It's, they've been exposed in a lot of cases. So I think they're going to regret playing with the Chinese. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Uh, I mean, look, a lot of people have uh, sent me notes basically saying Australia, you know, and China, uh, perhaps New Zealand's a back way into a backdoor entry into Australia, etc. Uh, I think the some of the scepticism and some of the concern regarding China is real. I understand that. But I mean, we also, of course, need to balance that out with trade. Um, but surely we can still trade with China without really having to put up with their crap. Can't we? And we don't need to be dictated to uh, here in Australia, certainly by China, let alone New Zealand, for goodness sake. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're tying themselves up in a whole range of deals, perhaps. Mike, are you there, mate? Yeah, mate. How are you going? All right. Thanks, Mike. Totally agree with you on that point, mate, with New Zealand. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think maybe they've got, uh, maybe they're getting ahead of themselves and, and getting feeling quite self-important ever since they were named, I think, by the World Health Organisation as being the nation that best dealt with COVID-19. Well, they've done wonderful, but you've got to remember they've got a tiny population. That's right. That's anyway, exactly right. Doesn't matter. Let's move on. What do you want to talk about? Uh, electric cars. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I, I just think that... Um, Pushing for electric cars at the moment, I think, is pie in the sky um, because of the time it takes to charge them and they haven't made it mandatory that they're charged with renewable energy. They're just going to overload the system worse. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I'm concerned about, Marcus, is have anybody done research how they react in an accident? True. You know, like, um, God knows. Well, look, I think they, they do have a place in the mix. It's a bit like renewable... Oh, for sure, for sure. I'd like to see private enterprise yeah. step up to the mark with a renewable electricity grid, yes, there charge you go. batteries, <laughs> and own the batteries. So the person that owns an electric car doesn't own the battery. The company yeah. that supplies it does. Mm. And instead of waiting for two hours to charge it, you just swap the battery over and go. Well, if the energy sector uh, was that confident in renewables... They, we wouldn't be throwing taxpayer dollars at it, and I understand how important it is uh, to protect the environment. I'm a, you know, I'm obviously uh, one who does believe in uh, in some aspects of climate change, but at the same time, we do need to ensure we keep the lights on, we keep power as affordable as possible, etc. Uh, we can go around for hours talking on that issue, can't we? James, are you there, mate? Yeah, I'm here, but how are you? All right, thank you, James. What did you want to say? Okay, I rang earlier about the Tesla thing, but um, okay, getting under this 1080 thing. Yes, okay. the poisonous so, bait, yep. Yeah, so over the last 20, 30 years, we used to have boars with open drains right through properties, and they'd go on for miles, and all the animals and roos and dingoes, anything could drink from it and survive, you know? Yes. So the federally funded um, closed it all off, capped it, they didn't cap it, but closed it off so they had to have troughs. Now, what they're doing now is putting kangaroo and um, kangaroo-proof uh, uh, fencing with a, a uh, intelligent eye that can pick up the sheep they got and cows that go for their regular watering, and they know what times, and they all crowd up to the gate, and then the gate will open. It'll recognise it at the right time. It'll let them in. It closes it afterwards. You starve the things from water, and they move on, and they don't attack the sheep as much, and they, they move on. 
Well, that's, um, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me, yes. Well, it's actually, it's actually a reality out there, and um, the solar panel powers the, the, the uh, recognition camera. And yep. getting onto the 1080 quickly. Now, what the problem is with 1080 mm. is whoever eats it and gets poisoned from it, then it dies, and then a goanna or a bird or whatever goes and has a peck, and it dies too. Well, of course. That's a big part of the problem because you're, what you're doing is uh, not only are you poisoning the animal itself to kill it, and then, you know, uh, its carrion is left. And, and what's happening, of course, all of the native animals that then chow down on a dead dingo from 1080 themselves become poisoned. Thank you, mate. Uh, is this Fung? Is that it? Fung? Nah, Fung. Oh, here we go. Uh, it was somebody ringing up with a pretend accent, was it? Pretending to be Chinese over my Chinese comments. Fung. Are the kids back at school yet? Obviously, Fung. Probably not his real name. Doesn't go to school. Uh, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Speaking of morons, Dan Donaldson. You see, Mark. We'll see already, Dan, you've stuffed up. Marcus, it is. Hang on, Fung's back. Let's see. Fung, are you there? Fung. Yes. What can we do for you? i very cranky with you. Why you Why you say Chinese man eat cat and dog? I stay in Chinese man. I have shrimp on Barbie. I, I, why, why you say this about Chinese man? What not, did, not what, hang on, man is, Fung, what not, did, what did I say again? Fung, just remind me. We, Chinese cat and dog. Well, they do. I don't. Well, obviously not, because you're living here in Australia, but over in China they do, Fung. Well, you say all Chinese men, not all Chinese men eat cat and dog. Well, we were talking about China itself. I said this isn't China. You probably still should not say that. Why not, Fung? You, 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 you characterise all Chinese in one as as one. We we're not all. No, Chinese. no, no. I think bright Chinese, intelligent Chinese would understand the the difference and the point that I'm trying to make, Fung. I I even I even support Canberra. Do you, Fung? Well, look, um, I'll give you half a brownie point for supporting the Canberra Raiders, Fung. But I look uh, regarding the accent. I don't know. You may be okay. Well, well, you do you do a good job, Marcus. Okay. All right, Fung. I'll enjoy your show. Thank you, mate. Okay, you have a good break. Thank you, Fung. Bye. Okay. Wow, it wasn't real good, was it? It wasn't real good. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Okay, I'm going to just take this up to the break. A little bit of Billy Joel, just because I feel like it. Leave a tender moment alone. Even though I'm in love, sometimes I get so afraid. I'll say something so wrong just to have something to say. I know the moment is
just avoiding the facts If the girl gets too close If I need some room to escape When the moment arrives I tell her it's all a mistake But that's not how I feel No, that's not the woman I know Tend a moment alone But it's not only me Breaking down when the tension gets high Just when I'm in a serious mood She is suddenly quiet and shy Billy Joel, leave a tender moment alone Now on the email, Matt says, Marcus the majority of dingoes in Australia are hybrid. Last I heard, the only pure dingoes left in Australia are found on Fraser Island. I don't know if you've ever been to Fraser Island, but the dingoes there are not cute, cuddly and friendly. They take your child... Well, no, I don't think they would take your child as soon as you look away. But I understand the point you're trying to make. The problem with Fraser Island is that there are morons that go there that feed them. You're told very clearly not to feed them. Dingoes are dangerous to all living things in Australia, so managing their numbers is needed, says Matt. Well, you're probably right to some degree, Matt. Thank you for the email, though. Appreciate it. News next. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9am. Oh, God, we've got Norman. We might as well get it over and done with him. Norman, are you there? Give it away, okay? It's painful to listen to you every morning. And I'm sure the callers out there, if you were honest people out there... You'd ring up and tell him to go. Why? Okay. Why? What? Ex- no, excuse, excuse me a minute, Norman. Excuse me a moment. You disgusting, unbelievably incredible grub. Now listen I'm to me. Why do you listen to the? Why do you listen to the program? What I'm you, looking after you, John. And what? What the hell are you talking? What are you talking about anyway, Norman? I don't know what you're talking about. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, returns Monday, 9 a.m. All right. In the meantime. 13 12 69 if you'd like to have your say. Uh, if you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Dan Donaldson. Once again, Dan, you've proved yourself to be about as sharp as a marble. You see, Mark, there is a huge difference between you and Laws. First of all, Dan, it's Marcus. But anyway, he goes on, Laws has plenty of moolah and a great voice. You, on the other hand, Mark, sound like you are talking through a hot dog muffler. <laughs> And you will gaslight people like President-elect Trump. What? President-elect Trump? Wow, you really are a special kind of stupid, aren't you, Dan? He's gone, all right? Um, All while avoiding ever going back to bricklaying. See, Mark, it's Marcus, that means you sold your soul to the devil and thus it falls. You can't stand Ralph and Leone even uttering the word God. You don't even know it is actually Satan who runs this. Oh, my God. Oh, boy, oh, boy. These people. Like you, Dan. Uh, Graham says, Marcus, I'm all for nuclear power. I want the first reactor in Australia to be built next door to Alice. Sorry, next door to Anthony. (laughs) Then, perhaps, you can put one at Vaucluse or Potts Point and another one next door to Parliament House in Canberra. Very good.
In regards to dingoes, Mick, Mick says, Marcus, just wondering what your mate Emma suggests we do to stop the dingoes eating calves or the back end out of sheep, lambs. These dingoes might be an Australian animal, but they're dangerous. Love the show, all the best. Thank you, Mick. Well, we had a guy ring not long ago, I don't know whether you heard it, who suggested uh, you try and, well get them away from uh, the, the livestock by making sure they don't have adequate, um, well, have access to water. But look, the point is very, very valid. And of course, these dogs are a menace and a pest to farming communities. I understand that. I understand that. There's, there's just got to be a better way of dealing with it rather than allowing a slow and agonising death. And again, uh, you know, through this poison and again once the dingoes do die after some 19 hours of suffering you know when when the other animals come along to do what animals do and devour them they also are poisoned all right anyway oh ralph hello yeah g'day marcus thanks for taking the call Mm. yeah i've rung up to talk about two things please about i'd like to respond to the midwife and I'd also like to talk about the Animal Justice Party. All right, we'll go with the animals first. Uh, no, it's going to be more effective if I go with the midwife first. That's all well, right. Well, I might you. cut you off after that, so let's go with the animal first. All right, then, okay. Um, there goes my freedom of speech. It seems to me that the Animal Justice Party values dogs and dingoes more than children. Why not save the children for adoption? Because I know that the, I've seen on the, on the internet the Animal Justice Party is pro-abortion. So why, why don't they turn around and instead of valuing dogs and dingoes more than people, start, start valuing the unborn child, start valuing children just as much, start trying to save them. And, and, and all right, OK, you've made your point. Now let's go to the midwife, yes? All right, with the midwife, yeah. I understand what she was saying. I, I, I mean, I hope I understand what I, what she was saying. I'll just say I what doubt my it, but take anyway. is. Yes. It seems like the midwife wrote it down. It seems like the midwife was talking about the small percentage of abortions where the child was loved and wanted, but sadly the child was not going to survive. Mm. And the child in that situation is treated with dignity and respect. And that would be extremely sad and distressing. Yes. And no one, and no one would say that, that mum and dad should feel guilty. But my question is, what about the majority of abortions where the baby is clearly unloved and unwanted, and where's the dignity, the dignity and respect in killing them? Well, nobody's killing anything. Well, they're alive and they're being killed. And what about adoption? What about adoption? I, I, I fully support you, Marcus, on, on questioning the adoption laws. Let's um, have a look at them and make it more easy for people to adopt. Well, Australia, could, Australia could lead the world. We could, we could have zero abortions if they all got adopted. Wouldn't that be great? We could lead the world and give give a really good example. Well, Look that would be Joe good. Yeah? That would be good, Ralph. Uh, look, I've got a um, I've got a package just arrived from the Animal Justice Party. Just let me unwrap it. Hang on a sec, there, Ralph. It's just yep. Okay, I got it. Beautiful. See you, Ralph. Ross, good morning. How are you? Ross, Ross, Ross. 
Oh, uh, Ross, you there? Yes, I am. Good, Ross. Yeah. What's on Good. your mind, Good. Ross? Pardon? What's on your mind, Ross? Uh, I've been accused of uh, crimes against humanity. Yes. I took in a million Uyghurs, uh, fed them, clothed them, housed them. Compare that to two atomic bombs wiped out 214,000 people. I would think that was crimes against humanity too. And ScoMo's responsible for losing $120 billion worth of trade. Uh, trying to stand up uh, big time to uh, master the elephant. China saying about the investigators going in to try and track that virus down. And uh, they just got insulted and said, right, we'll spend their money elsewhere, which they're entitled to do. That's all. Wow. Mate, this is the most redneck radio station that's going on. This You can't talk to it. You can't get a decent word across the airways if you don't agree with some of your fellow radio announcers. What are they trying to do? Still uh, listeners from TGB? Like? I want to talk about the Margaret uh, Court fiasco. Oh, three cheers for Margaret Court. She's a dead set legend. Uh, she's got the goers and she's able to stand up and, against these rednecks. If you want to look at what's going on, Trumpy, they stole the election off him. There's a thing called Rebel News, and it's all just starting to come out. Also, the Trumpet.com talks about uh, how they stole the election. <laughs> we are so blinded out here in the West with this crock crockety doodle dude nonsense these guys keep putting down on us, mate. We just so stupid here in the West. We, you wouldn't feed half of us. We're all walking around with a stupid mask on. All it is is influenza A and B. I've had a gut full of this radio station. Crock crockety doodle doo, mate. All uh, crockety doodle doo. <laughs> All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Ah, and he keeps coming back at me, that bloke, on uh, the email and the text. Mate, you're absolutely... Uh, anyone who supports Arby Yemeni, uh, he's the bloke, isn't he the bloke behind that news site that he just mentioned? Um, talk about your rednecks. Jesus. Anyway, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. It's been fun. Are you there, Brendan? Yeah, Brent- go Marcus. Hey, Brendan. Yeah, look, just want to talk about the dingoes. I've got a yeah. couple of friends with cattle, cattle properties in the Burdekin, and um, they've gone out with traps, and they've found they're getting more um, wild dogs and even domestic dogs that are catching um, that are problems for them. Um, there's still dingoes around the area, but yeah. they've got very few problems with them. I mean, um, there's a huge problem with feral dogs. Um, the amount that they're catching of those, um, and especially it's really disappointing for them when they find, you know, domestic dogs, even some of their neighbours who just aren't locking their dogs away at night, you know, and they all, they start to form packs and roam around at night with each other. Well, that's right. That's what dogs do, and we need to contain them. Absolutely we do. Uh, and the fault, uh, it's not the dog's fault. Uh, the fault lies with people who just don't care for these animals properly. And I know that uh, if you speak to farmers and those who, you know, run sheep and run cattle, etc., I mean, they treat their animals with respect and dignity and, and look after them as best they can uh, yeah. because their livelihood depends on it. There are a lot of That's people it. in this world, Brennan, who should not own animals. That's correct, yeah. Look, and we've, we've approached a couple of people when we've caught their dogs and they'll flat out say to you that uh, their dogs don't roam, but you you got the trap in the back of the youth, the youth with their dog in it saying, well, look, you know, say, this is not your dog, is it? Or, yeah, so, I mean, um, for goodness sake, what, the dogs don't roam? 
yeah, please. Yeah. And you know, like you said, you know, all my friends, their dogs are locked away in, in areas, that are not big areas, they're not locked in, in cages or pens or anything. No. Um, and that's the way they treat them, you know, they, they treat them, like you said, as their livelihood. But that's all I had to say, mate. Thank I, you. I like your show, keep it up. Thanks very much, I appreciate it. Look, even if you haven't got a big area, most homes have a garage. Put your dog in a garage overnight. It'll stop it from roaming. It'll protect it from getting run over. I mean, there's so many ways you can be a responsible pet owner. Uh, and yes, that's uh, Brendan's absolutely right. That is what happens with dogs that roam wild. They form packs. That's what dogs do. It's in their, you know, their nature and their instinct. And the concern is obviously that when dogs roam at night, they'll get up to mischief. That's what the animals do. They'll chase sheep, they'll get involved in hunting, if you like, in packs, and they cause untold damage and destruction to farmers' property, their livestock. That's their property. Uh, You should be more responsible and lock your animal away at night, contain them. We're, we're We're getting a lot better at cat containment, which will protect our native animals. We need to get a little bit better at dog containment as well, which will protect farmers' livelihoods. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. Talking, talking, talking. All the news and the views. Listen, you can hear me through the radio. Marcus Paul, weekday mornings from 5 a.m. on 2SM.
gets you down But that's okay You've been pushed around You feel the pain And when you fall Just lean on me Cause you've never known Never seen Never smelled Never felt the rain Yeah, Australia's tones and I Never seen the rain. rain. Plenty of it around Sydney town at the moment and uh, areas across New South Wales. 131269, just drive to the conditions and please, over the weekend, take it nice and easy, particularly if the roads are a little uh, slippery and wet. Uh, texts coming through. Uh, here we go. Oh, this one's all right. Please hurry up and come back. No, it's not. Please hurry up and come back, Lawsy. This bloke should not be allowed to broadcast under your name, John. That's Dan in Byron Bay. Well, Dan, I'm so jealous of all the people who haven't met you yet. I really am. Anyway, uh, Dan, thank you. Uh, John, he's back on Monday, okay? And you can ring him and have a, a whinge and a moan to your heart's content. Uh, there are some positive ones here, which is nice, and I thank you for those. I, I don't want to go through them all, but um, thank you to Annie for your very kind words. Uh, thank you to Anthony. Oh, Anthony. Uh, Anthony makes a, a really good point. No, Ralph, freedom of speech doesn't mean we all have to give you a platform. And, Ralph, you get plenty of freedom of speech on this network. Trust me. <laughs> Let's go back to callers now. Luke, good morning. How are you? Hey, how you going, Marcus? It's Luke. I know. Oh, um, just responding to Anthony. I was just going to sit back and take it easy listening. Enjoyed the morning so far, but then Thank Anthony you. got on and started telling all that stuff about the nuclear industry that I, I believe isn't, isn't accurate Can at I all. give you his number so you don't bore me? No, I won't bore you, mate. Um, I think you will. We'll start start with um, France, they're reducing their nuclear capacity by nearly 30% over the next 15 years. On board. That's, next. And that's because, you know, Angela Merkel in Germany... On board. Next. Can well, you get on with something a, else? I don't, want, I don't want a rundown of international well, events. Well, all I'm local. saying is he's not telling the truth about well, it. Well, that's uh, your opinion. That's fine. Call him. Uh, uh, what else did you want to say? 80% of, 80% of Australians believe it. That's why they're worried. Well, that's it? your but opinion I, again. Well, here we go. The Revenge of the Whale, this happened on the 29th of January, 2004, mm. um, in Taiwan. A 17-metre sperm whale, which are the type of whales that used to be caught um, in Australia at Albany and Eden. Yeah. Um, basically, it had beached, and they had a really big problem, so they put it on the back of a huge truck with cranes, about 53 people involved moving it, mm. and then it was going through the main street of this town in um, Taiwan, and the pressure of the gases inside it blew up and blood and guts went right across all the cars, the shoppers. I would have loved to have seen a movie camera of this happening because... Uh, well, how do we know it happened? It, how do we know it happened? Uh, you look it up on the, um, in the um, camera on, the, on that day, 29th of January, all right. okay. 2004. And it was a huge event then. And it, but it's the only time I've seen whales getting some sort of revenge. They've been... Killed and slaughtered for so long and nearly to extinction, which a lot of people say, oh, the human beings aren't having an effect on the world. Look, look at all the introduced species that we've got in Australia, like foxes and 
feral cats and That's rabbits true. and That's very cactuses. True. Yeah, very We've true. had such a huge effect on the environment in Australia just in the last 250 years. And I believe the idea that, oh, man's not doing anything that's destructive to the environment is not true at all. And uh, that's what I think everyone's starting to wake up to. But um, the the idea of moving to um, nuclear energy is because people want weapons. That's why the French use them for the nuclear weapons. And have you seen the Discovery Channel? You've you've followed that a lot? Well, yes, of course. Well, have a look up. It's It's a really good documentary called Beneath the Waves. Mm. And it indicates that one American submarine contains 26 hydrogen bombs. Oh, enough well. to destroy the whole world. Fair enough. Yeah. And, uh, hey. You're not going to stop rock- that. You're not going to change that, Luke. And no matter yeah, how no, much we'll we leave, leave that. But if you're, a, if you're a, a muser, there's a lot of hope in Oklahoma City. They've built these glass, bu- these plastic bubbles so that the, um, rock bands can perform. The Flaming Lips did a big gig in Oklahoma. The who? Just last week. The and they were all in these plastic bubbles. Hang on, what, what's the, name, audience and what's the, the name of the band? Bubbles. What's the name of the band? Flaming Lips. And if you look up DW, it's, it's reported on there, but Flaming you weren't lips. allowed to do any crowd surfing or um, right. can use fire sticks or anything like that because it would have melted the plastic bubbles. Three people in each bubble in the audience. Yeah. The drummer had a bubble. The, <laughs> the singer had a bubble. I wish I could put you in a bubble. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Jennifer, are you there? Yeah, mate. How are we going? All right, Jen. What's on your mind, though? I feel sorry for you today. No, it's all right. It's <laughs> fun. I'm driving to town anyway, and I was just tuning into your show. Thank We've you. We've got a couple of cattle properties, and we do get dingoes and we do get crossbred dogs, majority across with something else. Yes. And if they just subsidised the vets and made it mandatory for people to have, that weren't actual breeders, to have their dogs desexed, and if they were found and caught and taken to the pound, they get put down after two goes at the pound. Yeah. Then eventually you'd just be left with purebred dingoes, and there wouldn't be all these crossbred ones that are huge. Some of them are, you know, crossing with big pig dogs, and oh. they are doing a huge amount of damage to koalas, possums, quolls, and everything else that they eat as well. Yeah, look, it's a little remiss of me when, in my conversation with Emma, I and I, I might try and recontact uh, the Animal Justice Party. I mean, it's all very well to say we shouldn't be, you know. Uh, Euthanize. I mean, I certainly don't agree with euthanizing any animal with that disgusting, uh, with that disgusting no, person. No. But, but you know, um, are they referring to pure bred dingoes, or, for want of a better word, half castes, or, or you know, mixed breeds, or whatever? I mean, bitzes are a big problem. I mean, look what's happened even in domestic dogs. They're look, a big problem. We we know trappers, and mm. like we know what gets caught around the area as well. And let's just say out of a dozen, they would be probably one or two purebred dingoes, and most of them have something else in them. There you go. There you go. So, you know, if people weren't letting their dogs roam in in the country as well, Mm. then that wouldn't be crossing with the dingoes. Dingoes only breed once a year, whereas domestic dogs breed twice. If they're wandering in the bush, eventually they revert back to the wild with the dingoes, and then you get these hybrid huge dogs. And that's causing more problems because they are really big. And it is really scary if you're up in the bushland and, like I said, we've got some big properties yeah. and something comes out of the hills and it's massive. And I've also known people that have been on horses and been chased by packs of wild dogs. 
Wow. So, you know, they definitely need to be culled, mm. crossbred ones, definitely. Mm. Um, How should we way, do it, if though? Everything was, if everything was free or yeah. subsidised by the government to get your dog, most people would get their dog desexed if they had to, if it was mandatory. Mm. And then they wouldn't be crossing, and eventually you'd end up with just purebreds that are roaming in the in the bush. Yep. Um, which, you know, you, you, it's an ecosystem, you know, that, that sort of has worked for many, many years. But all these crossbred ones are doing more damage because they're getting bigger and, um, you know, they can pull down really big animals. I no, mean, I get it. Old calves. I get it. All right, that's a great call, Jen. Thank you so much uh, for calling us. I appreciate it. And, and sorry about all the idiots that keep ringing. No, you. we love them. <laughs> we love them. Thanks, Jen. Bye. Bye. Uh, Ash, are you Hello. there, Ash? Yeah, yeah. Who have I got here? Uh, who do you, you who do John, you want? Is it John? Is that you, John Laws? Yes, it is. It's John Laws here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just ring a call about these these dingoes. Yes. Now, I, I tell you, these they, they're a uh, ruthless mob. This these dingoes. I tell you, I go out the camping there in the in the back paddocks with me and me little log there, little chihuahua. Mm. I've befriended a few of them. I fed them, and, and I tell you, you just cannot get rid of the bloody things. They bloody just keep bloody coming back. I tell you. Now, yeah. the, the trouble I've got is my little chihuahua dog uh, Charlie. He's uh, also become friendly with these dingoes, yes. and and uh, well, to cut a long long story short, Marco, the, the uh, dingoes bloody mouse the little chihuahua. Now, the Ooh. question to you is. Mm. I, I, the, the pups are they? What, what's they going to be, mate? Are they a domestic dog? Or are they going to be a bloody, a bloody dingo, mate? Well, that's a very good question. Well, I, th- I thought I'd just you know, just cast that out to your listeners, and uh, you know maybe someone can give us a bit of feedback, perhaps. Okay, thank you very much. Ah. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I really don't. Uh, but it's a very good call, though, and he makes a very good point, doesn't he? Regardless of... Even though he's a little bit confused. John's back on Monday, mate. But, yes, Ash, you make a really good point. Um, the the animals that are created, the pups that are created from dingoes and other dogs breeding, I mean, what do you call them? <laughs> they're bitsers. And they're probably the ones that grow up to cause the most damage, unfortunately. Hello, Alfie. Are you there, Alfie? Yeah. Yes, here, mate. How are you, Presence. Marcus? I'm present, uh, present and accountable. No, I'm present, sir. <laughs> What's up? <clears throat> uh, I just want to say, mate, great stuff. Stand in for the king. <laughs> uh, mate, I'll tell you what, you need a holiday after this, I'm telling you. Oh, I have a bit of fun. Uh, look, yeah, yeah, not everybody I really likes... enjoy it. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, Thanks, Alfie. Thanks. Um, appreciate it. But not everybody agrees, including Jack, Jack Lewis. The subject title is Tosser. <laughs> tosser. Very good. Uh, anyway, Jack turns around and says, uh, Mates, you're a tosser. Get off the radio and get out of John Laws's shadow. Thank you, Jack.Lewis, 2010 at Hotmail.com. Need to change that now, don't you, Jack? Uh, look, Jack... Why don't you call me? 13 12 69, Jack. If you have a problem with me, that much of a problem with me, there are two things you can do. You can not listen, and you can certainly not email. And secondly, cry me a bloody river, mate, and go and drown yourself in it. (laughs) 
Dennis, good morning. Hi, mate. How are you going? All right, Big Den. What's on your mind? Mate, you're a lucky bloody fellow. Am I? Yeah, you know why? Tell me. Mate, you're producer, Young Ben. Yes. I ring him of an afternoon between bloody three and six, and there he is of a morning on with you. Mm. A really young gentleman, mate. Absolutely good fellow. Ben, Ben's a lovely bloke. We've got only hey. only wonderful people working here at uh, at 2SM at the Fortress in yeah. Sydney. Yes. Mate, um, animals and, and animal dogs. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've made a friend of a possum. Mm-hmm. And we feed her and everything, you know. And oh. because they're nocturnal, when we were dogs out, he barked of a night. And yesterday, mm. he's come out in the day and he's chased her and got her. You know, you shouldn't be feeding possums. You know that you really should not be doing that. It's not the right no, thing well, to well, do. I put, I, put this, I put feed out for all the birds and everything and yeah. she comes out. Okay, fair enough. And she gets out with the birds. And The other day, she was up on the bird bath and, you know. So we, we sort of think, yeah, okay, because she sleeps over in the containers. Hmm. And I've come home yesterday and she was laying on the ground. And Anyway, I've got onto the animal welfare. Yeah. I, I, I took her out last night at 8.30. They picked her up and they've taken her to a vet at Dungog and I'm at, at Port Stevens. This is how bloody good these people are, you know. Wonderful. How's, yeah, how's, really, how's really, that? Well, I really, I've given them a done. I'm going to help them in every way, shape and form. Uh, you know, just, they, just, she just rang me back and she said, look, we've taken her to a vet at Dungog. Yes. Now. You know, she's got a couple of internal injuries. We hope she's all right. I hope so too, mate. How's the lovely these, these wife? people that look after animals, mate, <laughs> and we've got to look after so way, way back when, you know, with the greyhounds, they used to get the bloody possums and rabbits and put them to the lures, you know, for the dogs to chase them. Well, yes, we know that that's uh, They get 10 years jail now. Good, so they should. Yeah, but anyway, young Ben and you, you make a pretty good combination. <laughs> all right, mate. How's the uh, the lovely lady in your life? Mate, really good. Good, she going well really, now. You know, just, we've got another appointment today with um, the the guy with the kidneys and everything, but mm. she fights on, mate. She's she's a fighter. I, I wish I could put a pair of gloves on her. <laughs> She'd win a world championship. Absolutely, she could take yeah. on a, a few of the uh, the crazies that occasionally bother me. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. You look after right yourself. Up. Chat soon, then. Bye bye. <laughs> Um, there are a lot of characters on the John Law's Morning Show. Marcus Lucas is boring as batshit. Really? Please tell him to get a job and get a life. Uh, spending every day calling 2SM raving on with rubbish he found on Google. Please spare us the pain. And Luke, you goose, nuclear energy is the only power source we have that has zero emissions, so do some more research. Green groups have been taking money from fossil fuel companies for over 30 years to discredit nuclear power. If that's not suspicious, then nothing is. All right, Chris, thank you. Uh, This one from John, John Hamilton. G'day, Marcus. I'm always exhausted after Luke's useless information segment each day, and thanks for racing him through it today. Regards, John. Well, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I think um, Luke occasionally has a few moments of interest. Only a few moments. All right, Chris, are you there, mate, Chris? Um, Yes, I am, Marcus. Hello, Chris. How are you, mate? Well, thank you. Fighting fit. Uh, That's good. Look, I want to say a, a little thing about China to start with. Yeah. Um, possibly New Zealand was trying to say to our Prime Minister mm. that there's no real need 
to go out of his way to be provocational. Um, but the way some things have been approached are quite like blunt and provocational, if you understand what I mean. Well, I um, agree, but when it comes to... I, look, I, when it comes to the coronavirus... Somebody needs to be uh, provoking the Chinese over this because the research quite clearly clears that they've destroyed the economies of many countries. So, uh, look, I'm going to agree to disagree with you on that, Chris. I'm sorry, but uh, somebody needed to call China out on this, and I'm glad that our Prime Minister did. That's one of the good things that Trump also did, was have a crack at the Chinese over it. I mean, it's, called, it's caused untold destruction around the world, cost how many millions of lives now, and what we're all just expected to sit back and go, yeah, it's just China. We better not say anything. No, come on, Chris. Can I can I say something about something more simple? <laughs> well, yes, of course you can. <laughs> the dingoes on Fraser Island. Yes, mate. I haven't been there, but I have like looked at lots of videos of them, and they say don't feed the dingoes. Well, it wouldn't matter whether they're dingoes or dogs. If they're starved, they become dangerous animals. True. And I think I think the National Parks and Wildlife should actually manage the feeding and manage the breeding of the dingoes on Fraser Island and the wild dog problem in Australia. Yeah. I live on the edge of a small town and every child wants some puppies mm. and then the puppies grow. Mm. No one wants to love them when they're not puppies anymore. And they all end up wandering into the bush in packs yep. and kill anything that they can catch. And that's the problem, isn't it? It comes down to, again, responsible pet ownership. You're absolutely right. We have similar problems with kittens. They're all very cute. Kittens, puppies, gorgeous. Uh, and a lot of people do buy them for children. Children grow up. And unfortunately, these animals quite often get neglected. Through no fault of their own, they end up, I don't know, sometimes stray, and then they need to f eat. So what do they do? They do what anybody would do when they're hungry. You hunt for food. And that's a big part of the problem. Responsible pet ownership is a big part of the issue. All right, welcome back. Uh, all right, not too long to go. Don't forget, Lawsy back on Monday. Derek, good morning. How are you? Hello. Yes, Derek. Oh, good day, Marcus. Happy day, New mate. Year, mate. Thank you. You too. Only uh, good. I hope you had a good uh, good Christmas. I did. Only a Thank couple you. of quick things. I'm surprised that uh, listeners haven't picked up on it. The Australian of the Year award, mate. Yes. Yep. Uh, Eight hundred and thirty-six applicants. Yeah. One hundred and thirty-four were female. Uh, so how come the guys couldn't get a Guernsey? Mm. Well, that's a very good question. Yeah, well, it's, I hope now the big PT is doing the report. Mathematically, it's not possible, mate, for the top four to oh. be female. Yeah, look, the other issue that I've got, and there was a story about it. I don't encourage gambling, so I, I really don't want to talk too much about it. But there was a, a report this morning in the press in relation to the Australian of the Year awards and the fact that um, maybe... <laughs> There was some inside information and people may or may not have made some money off betting. Why the hell are we allowing people to bet on the Australian of the Year? I don't understand. Particularly when the results come out beforehand and there's an embargo, etc. I don't know. Why are we allowing betting on the Australian of the Year? Well, that's a stupid question, Marcus. You know damn well why. 
money. That's why. Hello, Bob. Are you there? Yes, hello. Uh, I want to comment on Luke. Sure. Be nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you know, do you know, it's going to be quick, do you know why he avoids looking out of his window of a morning? Oh, God, tell me why. Because it gives him something to do in the afternoon. I'm going to pinch that, and I'm going to pretend it's all mine. Thank you. Hello, Terry. Are you there? Yes, mate. Hi, Terry. What's on your mind? Um, do you remember a, a month or two ago, all the fires on Fraser Island? Yeah, I do, yes. I wonder why they were let burn when that's a dingo Ooh. habitat. Yeah, that's a... Well, look, I would hate to think that was the case, oh, that they were like burnt to... Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so, but yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was wondering why they weren't putting the fires out until they reached the houses, but um, then I started thinking about the dingoes, and I thought, hmm. Well, that would... I hope that's not the case, because it's not... wouldn't have just been dingoes that would have suffered during the fires... Uh, on Fraser Island, there'd be a stack of other native wildlife that also would have perished. Uh, also on Dingo, Steve, hello. Hello, how are you, Marcus? All I'm right, back. all right, Steve, what's up? Okay, mate, you hung up on me before. I said we should eat the dingoes. That wasn't what I wanted to finish on. I've been a butcher all my life. Yeah. And, um, made it back in, I think it was about 93 when the drought was pretty hard. Yep. We used to buy a sheep for $2 in the butcher shop and we'd bone it out and we'd get about five kilo of meat. Sure. We'd sell it to the pie shop. Yeah. At $1.80 a kilo, whatever, I don't know. I didn't own the shop, but, you know, I boned them out. took about three minutes to strip one of them down. But Wow. Um, I was just trying to say to you that if we got to cull them if they're getting too much, be them domestic dogs or whatever. Mate, I've got two dogs of my own, and I mm. love the buggers. I know. They sleep, in, they sleep in my bed, you know what I mean? Like, Mate, I, I mean, do. I, look I do. Dogs. But you hung up on me before, and I just thought, I just wanted to get back to you and let you know that I didn't say just eat them. I'm as Aussie as they come, mate. <laughs> No, it's I all don't. right. Don't don't take it personally. I mean, I hang up on a lot of people. It's for effect and because it's a radio show and I probably had a, a good way of getting out and saying, no, we don't. Oh, well, I did. I had a good way of getting out. No, we don't eat dogs here in Australia. We're not China. Um, anyway, but I do take the point, Stephen. Thank you very much for getting back to me. And uh, don't, don't take it personally, mate. It's a radio show. Um, and Ralph... And all the others I've had a bit of fun with over the last couple of weeks while filling in for John. Don't take it personally. It's a radio show. What do they say? It's showbiz or whatever. I don't know. Hello, Pete. Are you there, Pete? Hello, Pete. The sounds of silence. Patty, are you there? Hey, how are you, Marcus? How's it hanging on, mate? Uh, short. No, no, I won't go there. <laughs> I figured not. Hey, uh, I just wanted to touch on um, two two very quick subjects. Please. Um, n- number one was the um, the, the um, hydrogen situation mm. and energy consumption, and and I just sort of wanted to point out a put a point forward that um, look, um, 
if uh, if industry and um, and power regeneration and all the rest of it, yeah. if they maybe um, embraced hydrogen, mm-hmm. now um, the day the Earth formed and then and to this day forward, um, the same amount of water is on the planet. The only way we can actually reduce the raising water levels is to reduce the amount of water. And um, you know, if, if hydrogen split down and actually conformed into energy, well, then it turns into essentially nothingness. And um, and you know, if, if we had hydrogen powered, um, uh, you know, electricity generation, sure, and, yeah, and that, um, you know, I, I know it, I know it's a, a far reach, but also with the cars, um, it, it may do something, you know. Sure. sure. And the, the the other the other point I just wanted to touch on, Marcus, was um, I wonder if um, any of those uh, left wing greenies with the, <laughs> you know, the look after the dingoes. Well, hang on, hang on. Can I just pull you up? Can we not use left, right? Uh, let's just say, what about the people who maybe are a little over enthusiastic about their care for dingoes? Perfectly put, Marcus. All right. I, I just, I'm sick of the labels. It, it's just lazy. Uh, no, anyway. And yeah, I apologise for that. No, um, you don't have to apologise at all. At um, all. Marcus, I would just like to say that. Um, if they maybe spent um, a week or two on a sheep station, exactly, um, you know, um, putting down um, or or trying to, to help and save um, poor innocent, you know, merino sheep or, or whatever that have been virtually and essentially devoured, disemboweled, and, and yes, and, awful, and, you know. Um, and and the thing about it is that um, they the, the way it's sort of put across to the media is that. Like every single thing that's 1080 or or, um, or or shot, and the only reason they scalp them is is after they're dead. You rip you rip the, the, the oh yeah, maybe not. But I've got you, <laughs> I've got you. I know what you're going to say. Look, they probably use them uh, in a, a range of ways. I I just don't like the idea of animals, you know, taking 19 hours to die. If you do have to cull them, just shoot them in the head. That's it. Um, a lot of people won't like me saying that, but surely it's better than having animals writhing in pain and dying a painful death for 19 hours. Thank you, mate. Lyle, last caller. Good day, mate. How you going? All right, Lyle. What's on your mind? i got to go. I just rang to say uh, thank you for uh, for the last five or six weeks, mate. I enjoyed, enjoyed talking to you. Good on you, Lyle. I, I, I will continue to listen to you, mate. You, you're, uh, it's, riveting, it's called Riveting Radio, mate. <laughs> kind. <laughs> up the dial and give us a trial Marcus Paul in the morning well it's called something riveting I don't know but anyway thank you thank you very much for all your phone calls your emails etc and for being a part of the program thanks for playing along at home and apologies if I had a fight with you (laughs) not really no yes really it's just all part and parcel of what we do an exchange of ideas sometimes it gets a little willing um, you know, and, and thank you even to my trolls who send me those nasty emails. I really do enjoy it. It makes good content. Look after each other. Have a great weekend. John Laws, the king of talkback, is back on Monday. All right, Lawsy back on Monday. Uh, if you do want to catch up with me and my work, breakfast on 2SM, you can always listen online, 2SMSupernetwork.com. Please give my show page a follow and a like. And I'm sure we'll catch up again sometime. Have a great weekend and take care. Bye now. Lawsy back Monday. You make me smile.